welcome everybody to the latest episode of the Rogue Retro Smackdown Review. We're looking at the March 23rd episode of Smackdown. I'm usually host Scott McLeod and we're getting ready for which is called McMahon 2000 rather than WrestleMania 2000 because I said last week if you think that McMahon's are heavily involved in the story now just wait until the next couple of weeks and I was t- saying to Sam who's back again with me that the amount of times I've had to write the word McMahon across my notes for us both Raws and the Smackdowns or the next couple of episodes is just insane and I can think I can tell why older fans who probably lived to this time Sam probably don't like it when McMahon show up in the, the more modern day products. I think it's definitely a case of where it's weird watching these episodes. You can almost see at the time why they were bringing the McMahons back because it made sense, but if you keep on doing the same thing for 21 years, eventually you're going to start regurgitating it back up. And mm-hmm. this, <laughs> this is like a, this is like a, um, a light sided version of all oh, bringing McMahon's back. But I, I feel an inherent sense of weariness every time now. And this is probably why definitely. <laughs> Emily, so I don't think we should wait around anymore because, We've got a lot to cover with these uh, this episode, especially. Uh, we'll talk about what happened on Monday Night Raw because what happened there was a major announcement that in fact uh, the SmackDown. We opened with Finn's backstage and the returning Stooges. I don't think we've seen the Stooges since uh, before Armageddon. Uh, Vince is there with Patterson and Briscoe. Maybe Cole's trying to interview him, and he's got some announcements to make. And uh, Briscoe. Bills like one of his names before he gets to the sequel, so I'll tell them about the tag team battle royal, Mr. McMahon. Uh, I'll come back to the tag team situation in a second after I talk about the main event, but Vince says he has another announcement that if it goes through, will rock the foundation of the WWF. Then cut to the opening overall, which is Triple H and Stephanie coming out for a promo, take a shot, because I've said that before. Mm. They talk about WrestleMania, they talk about what this announcement all is that Vince is talking about, and about how he's going to beat The Rock, he's going to beat The Big Show, and he's like, if this has got an announcement, it's got to do with me because I am the WWF champion, I am the, the WWF. And then out comes Shane with The Big Show, and Shane basically says that, you know, maybe the sentence should be the fact that Triple H should maybe put the title on the line tonight against The Big Show, which I'm sure we all wanted to see. And, and Triple H basically said, like, no, I am the, I'm the champion, I'm no under, under no obligations to defend the title before WrestleMania. And then that brings out Vince, who decides he's going to, what his big announcement is, it's going to shake the WF to its foundation, is that we're not going to have that triple threat at WrestleMania. We're going to have it tonight on Raw. And GR really sells the possibility of this happening. He's like, oh, this has never been done before. The WrestleMania main event here tonight on Raw. And the WF, when they say it's going to deliver something, it's going to happen. Uh, so they're trying to use the CD. This is not a beating switch. This triple threat is actually going to happen. And then Triple H only agrees to the, uh, the stipulation being that if he wins the triple threat, that means that, I mean, that's it. The triple threat doesn't happen again at WrestleMania. That's it. It's done. And Vince agrees. He says, like, I recommend... And Vince really showed here why he's the better promo of the McMahon family. He says, how would you take those lists, Triple H? Pucker them up. Real nice. Probably trying when he's in a rock. He goes, no, I don't want you to kiss, use them to kiss my daughter because that would just make me sick. I don't even want you to kiss my ass. I want you to pucker those lips up and kiss that WWF championship goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Vince is so damn good on the mic. There's a reason why he gets a reaction every time. And it's it's always quite strange seeing him as a babyface, as we've mentioned previously. But the thing is, he is so good at his promos that he can get the crowd on side. And they are they are a hundred percent invested in him, which if you compared it to l- literally 12 months previously when he would have been in the feud with Austin and that's and part of the corporate um, corporation, it really shows the tr- um, Vince McMahon's ability to flip flop between character and, and entice the audience enough to get them invested. And it, it's these sort of moments where he, um, where he does think a little bit different that I still get excited about. Um, I almost think sometimes it's more exciting for the crowd being able to have that baby face um, authority figure getting them popped up for stuff as opposed to always being against them. But watching Vincent in, in just the introduction, um, he plays it so well that you can he, you can actually buy into the idea of him doing the WrestleMania event on a random episode of War because he's Vince McMahon, damn it, and he can. Yeah, I don't think they really gave it a good enough explanation as to why they choose to have the main event on other than just maybe to fuck with Triple H or Vince somehow thinks that The Rock can win the title. So he wants The Rock just to go into Mania as the champion. It doesn't really properly explain why it happens. It's all, oh, what a uh, what a bu- great business decision, and I'm just sitting there like, no, it isn't. Because then you've got two weeks left of me, and you're wondering, okay, what's the main event, main event, main event going to be now? Because the last few weeks you've been telling us it's going to be Big Show versus Triple H, and now you only just told us it was this triple threat, and now you're saying we're going to get that tonight. So what the fuck are we going to get at WrestleMania? And we're going to get The Rock in an interview with Michael Cole. He sends Michael Cole away so he can do the, the, the interview himself. He tells Michael Cole to go, go suck a monkey's nipple. And uh, Michael Cole just stares and goes, go on, find a monkey. And Michael Cole leaves. And The Rock talks about how ready he is. He's like, I've been ready since before I won the Royal Rumble. I've been ready since last year at WrestleMania when I lost the WWE Championship. And we get the match. It's okay. Uh, but, you know, part of me is very glad that this is not what we got at WrestleMania because, you know, it is, basically I'm watching it thinking, wow, this is exactly what I thought it would be. You know, you got Big Show and Triple H working over the rock to him. When you got Vince getting involved, he punches Triple H in the face. Uh, eventually, uh, Big, Triple H and Big Show don't get along because only one of them can win, so they turn on each other. Uh, Big Show does a choke slam off the end table onto the floor, which I'm sure is a, a rough bump to take. JR sells it as if Big Show is fucking throwing him off a building. Uh, Shane pulls the rock out of the ring after when the rock goes for the people's elbow and hits him with a, a steel chair. That then leads to Vince punching Shane in the face. Triple H manages to get back in the ring and pedigree the big show to retain the title. Uh, it's all, most of this is covered in the recap. I don't know if he cover, covers this part here in the recap where the rock, after the match, looks at Shane and the camera catches him going, you motherfucker, and chases Shane into the crowd and Shane nearly fucking fucks his own ankle while he's trying to climb over the barricade to get away from the rock. And... Uh, Triple H goes up the ramp and then we hear no chance in hell play again and out comes Linda McMahon and she just so charismatically says congratulations Triple H 
you, you can <laughs> almost see the emotion trying to break out of her face and then the the overlord alien inside of her that controls her going, no, no, let's bring that emotion back in now. We don't display that. We're aliens. <laughs> uh, also, Triple H tackles a fan. I think a fan tries to climb one of the barricades. Went so angry at Triple H's one because they're in Chicago for Raw, and so uh, some. I think I can see somebody on the ramp, and then Triple H just dies at them, and it cuts right back to a close up of Linda's face, but she's not saying anything. So clearly something happened, and obviously live TV. But then she says that no, the you're right. This triple threat match won't happen at WrestleMania. It's now going to be a fatal four way elimination match. You're going to be Triple H versus the Big Show. Versus The Rock. Versus, I think at first the fans thought it was Austin. They said a certain deserving individual who deserves to have his dreams come true. And the group pop, they realize, oh, we know who it is now. And she brings out, not the Godfather, who beat Triple H last week. So clearly nothing's going to happen with the Godfather that's been held down again by that golden shovel. But out comes Mick Foley. And it was interesting, as this weird period for the next couple of weeks. Is Mick Foley is just Mick Foley, even though they referred to him as such when he was kept as Jack. He is just now Mick Foley. He's not Dude Love, Cactus Jack, or Mankind. He's just himself so technically the fourth face of Foley. And thankfully, that's it. It's done. The main event is set now. Thank fuck, because you've got a week and a half left to WrestleMania. And just as well, you're in one of the best periods you've ever had business-wise. Otherwise, I don't think in the current day you'd get away with this shit. <laughs> it's absolutely insane, the fact that Pretty much between Royal Rumble and WrestleMania 2000, your main event is so up in the air um, to the point that it's almost laughable. It it feels like the nowadays bookings you get where the SmackDown before Survivor Series, you inevitably have at least one title change so they can blow everything up and suddenly you end up with AJ Styles versus Brock Lesnar or something like that. Now, I do feel slightly lied to because surely the whole build-up has been suggesting that you are going to be able to see the main event you always wanted, which would be Triple H with Stephen McMahon in his corner against Vince McMahon with The Rock in his corner. Because you notice that may, most of the edits uh, on SmackDown when showing this, uh, showing the match was a Vince McMahon knocking out Shane and the big shot. Really, it should have been a triple threat match between Shane, mm. Vince, and Triple H, because those are the real stars in it. Um, it's pure insanity, and you, like the amount of flip-flops in trying to get to this final main event um, has this element of almost like every time they start writing in what the main event is, someone comes, low, comes over, slaps the chalk out of someone's hand and says, No! <laughs> no, you are not having that. And finally, Linda comes in. Um, you know the the woman of uh, of uh, the third um, Linda emotion on display, which is annoyance. Um, and she decrees that we are in fact going to make it a fatal four way. And it is interesting that you mentioned about the fact that um, that the crowd seemed to think it was going to be Austin, uh, considering that according to reports, it was going to be Jericho at the time but they changed mind because they thought they could get Mick Foley back instead and to be honest I actually thought that when Mick Foley came out the pop he got was fantastic and 
it almost it actually works to some degrees in that you can almost imagine it was the story that they originally had in mind was for Mick Foley to return to get revenge. Um, it just seems um, insane to think, no, they just decided, yeah, fuck it, let's try it. Um, and we, and I wouldn't say wasted a few, a possible WrestleMania main event with uh, the triple threat match because you'd already seen it at Survivor Series. So you didn't really want a rematch. And I wouldn't be surprised if even when The Rock was added, even though tickets sold more, everyone was a little bit meh because they'd already seen Triple H versus Big Show. They'd already seen Triple H versus McFurry. They saw Big Show versus The Rock. They saw The Rock versus Triple H. The Rock versus Triple H is a big enough match for a main, for a WrestleMania main event, um, which is probably why they'll plan it for 2023 at this rate. But it's they wanted something big and different. And in fact, the whole of WrestleMania 2000 feels like they want everything to be bigger. They want to really set a standard, which is why we'll end up with only one singles match at WrestleMania 2000. But... I am to some degrees quite glad that the buy rates for the WrestleMania 2000 itself isn't, isn't actually that great because it's bad enough the amount of throwing in as many superstars and random matches as you possibly can to make it as big as possible. If they got away with this, I can only imagine what it'd be like nowadays. But we'll get to WrestleMania 2000 when we get to WrestleMania 2000. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because like I, I do believe Austin was made either main event WrestleMania against either Triple H or The Rock. Obviously, then he got injured, so then the plan changed to Rock versus uh, Triple H, which makes a lot of sense. I think your top bad guy versus your top good guy at the time. Mm-hmm. In terms of like the writings for the heel and face, respectively, the two biggest were for those two at the time, so it makes sense in a bigger show. I don't know where the hell Big Show was factored in during this, because it always felt like he was just meant to be a bit of a bait and switch before eventually going back to Raw versus uh, Triple H, but now they, they just kept them as part of the story. I don't know where that came into it, because uh, all accounts, it does, like you said, look like this was the plan from the start, especially when you get to me and you watch the video package, it does feel like the way they put it together, like it was the plan all along. But Foley talked about him in his books, like he firmly wanted to retire at uh, and no way out. Like I didn't want to just come back. Uh, even even gets a promo, but not want to come back, which he addresses on this this SmackDown. Uh, but you know, I don't know where that factored in. So I think yeah, adding Foley was the kind of thing to help take us on because I think if it was the triple threat, as I said, from what I've watched on Raw, it still wouldn't have been the best in terms of a main event. But like I remember, I've, I've heard at the time that the likes of Finlay Martin and Power Slam or Dave Meltzer in the wrestling observer fucking hated this. And that they hated the idea of the WWF lying to the fans with somebody like McFoley. And I was like, at the time, they didn't know for certain what this plan was. If, it, if McFoley was always meant to come back, or and they just lied, or if this was just a, a thing that WWE did at the last minute just to bring him back, you know, to stay, you know, do the whole like story of him going to WrestleMania and you know, all his dreams and everything. But according at least the from what I've heard from Godolics that. Found the Martin every for years afterwards when writing about McFoley. No matter what he was talking about, if McFoley came up, he would always find a way to include Foley. Famously lied to the fans and <laughs> his retirement in two thousand. The, the, the amount of bitterness within that comment, I can imagine. Um, I mean, the thing is, is that 
these would be the same people who would come out and say that anyone who says they're going to retire is instantly lying. So it's not so I think they were always naturally going to expect the worst and think like, oh, Foley must be lying. And I think one of the things that Mick Foley has proven previously, and he proves it this week, in fact, um, it's one of the things I will highlight later on, is that he always tries to be as open as possible and as honest with what he's discussing. And that's one of the reasons why he connects with the crowd so well is the sincerity to what he says. Now, I 100% can believe that he wanted to retire after No Way Out. Um, he was he was battered, he was tired, he was struggling, etc. But, you know, you get offered to appear at WrestleMania, nobody's going to turn that down. You'd be lying if, if you said um, that you would not want to be in the main event of WrestleMania. I mean, for one thing, the financial stability that would give him at a time when he was probably a little bit nervous um, and can support his children, especially in his family. I've got no issue with that. I think it's a decision that makes sense. (laughs) As he says, why am I trying to talk myself out of being in the main event of WrestleMania? And for the sprinkle of magic it adds to the match. And I really feel that Mick Foley's inclusion um, over the next two weeks really, really emphatically revitalizes the whole program because it was sort of entering that stage where it was feeling a little bit lethargic and repetitive because it was, again, two heels battling on the rock. It was always Big Show and Triple H working together. Then they'll turn on each other. Then they'll work together again. And it was starting to go in circles. And it seems like the sort of situation where Vince McMahon went, you know, we can do better. This is, this is getting to the point that it's that fans are going to be turned off a little bit. And they took the chance. And I think even though McMahon in every corner wasn't great, I do feel that the decision to have a fatal four-way was the right decision. Mm. Like, I said before, I, on this, I don't know if it was last week or the week before, but I said before that it doesn't. looking at it, there's no indication of Jericho even being considered uh, for this. So when you look at the main event, it just seems like he's so focused on the IC title and, well, European title seen by, by association because the same person's holding both belts. So was like I, w- I went on earth randomly out of nowhere when that man came and said, and the fourth individual, Chris Jericho. I wonder if what this, if he if he'd have gotten the same reaction there, you know, even though he was popular, just him coming in out of nowhere after just being so associated with Kurt Angle and Chris Benoit from the previous week, like how that would go down in terms of like uh, the fans, but. Because I think you know, him being associated, uh, I don't know. I know fans would probably try and make themselves believe that he would win, but there's still no way that Jericho would win this at this stage uh, if he got randomly inserted. But the other thing to know about and going into this matter is the situation with the tag team titles, because Vince decided to have a series of tag team matches on this show, and he said that the winner of the winners of those matches would then go into a battle royal later in the night to. Determine the number one contenders for the Dudley Boys at WrestleMania. So we ended up having the Hardys defeating uh, Road Dog and X Pac, 
uh, to get into the battle royal, X Fucking Road coming out to their the run DMC version of the DX song, uh, off the new WF Aggression album, which they're really pushing hard on, on TV. Uh, Too Cool defeated uh, Eddie Guerrero and Dean Malenko, I believe it is, of the Radicals. I think I was, was sat in Malenko, Eddie just got involved. But uh, Too Cool beat the Radicals. Head Cheese, after doing a weird thing with a Ben Franklin impersonator, uh, defeated uh, the Hollies. And Edge Christian managed to defeat the PA after Midian accidentally hit Bradshaw with a mop after he was meaning to hit Edge with it. And then they did a weird thing with this battle. They did the that white version where basically one member of the team gets eliminated, the whole team's eliminated, which I've never enjoyed. Especially not when there's only four fucking teams in the Battle Royal. Because <laughs> there's a spot where both members ahead, she's going, and then quickly Scotty Too Hot, he goes out. So then you show, get you on the other side of the ring of Grandma Sexy awkwardly and frustratedly having to get out of the ring, realising his partner's just been eliminated. So it clearly comes down to the Hardys and Edge and Christian, as you figured it would. But then the Dudleys attack them, so there's no clear one of the match. And it ends with Jeff getting powerbombed through Christian, who's laying on a table as the Dudleys stand to all randomly, not, couldn't be asked waiting to decide, to, couldn't be asked waiting to see who's going to be there no more contenders decided, ah, fuck it, let's put them through a table. The absolute clusterfuck of booking when it comes to the tag team division is almost shocking. Um, it, you, I mean, since No Way Out, you've had it that um, Edge and Christian were the number one contenders, but they were possibly going to be split up. You have the Dudley Boys are the tag team champions, but they're busy being in handicap matches and putting May Young through tables. And then you've got the Hardy Boys who aren't involved, but keep on getting involved and are one of the favorites. And then you build up like Edge and Christian as the number one contenders, have them choose to have their title shot on a random episode of SmackDown, which I'm still bitter about <laughs> a week later, because <laughs> it's so fucking stupid. Uh, they Instead of like, oh, we've got WrestleMania in three weeks. Nah, let's do it on SmackDown in an episode that nobody's going to give a shit about. And then on the same episode, you have it that Vince McMahon's like, oh, let's choose the number one contenders between Hardy Boys and Radicals. Puts them together, achieves nothing absolutely nothing so he then decides we're going to do a tournament and then we're going to do a battle royal and then the battle royal doesn't end and then he comes to this event where he makes a decision i feel like at this point he could have legitimately turned around and said do you know what let's just have it that at wrestlemania we're going to have a 12 team scramble match which will take up the first hour of the entire show because you've got enough fucking tag teams being featured on WrestleMania as it is. Why not just put them together and actually make it worthwhile? Um, and then just like write it off because the writings achieved nothing. Um, the decision to pick the teams is an absolute mess. And you now got to the point that at the beginning of the show, in seven days, you've gone from Edge and Christian being your number one contenders to no number one contenders after three attempts, in to- really, in total. It is messy. It is absolutely messy. It's the equivalent of a two-year-old child being put in, f- in charge of the cooking and decided that Cocoa Pops and fried eggs will make a wonderful meal. And you go, uh-uh, I'm chucking that in the bin. It's a fucking cluster. And... It's, oh, it's it's not even surprising. If you think about the cluster that the main event was in, 
and try and decide how they would get that together. And then the cluster that the tag team division was in. It's like, it says something when the only title that seems to be actually having some form of um, uh, what's competency and um, consistency to it is the hardcore division. It is <laughs> insane. But... You know, thankfully, Vince McMahon will ride in on his white horse and save us with a match of WrestleMania. It's basically, this week is basically McMahon save WrestleMania because Linda saved the main main event by bringing in Mick Foley. And Vince McMahon is going to save it by bringing in what will end up being one of the best WrestleMania matches ever. But, you know, I'm just going to sit here with my tea, sipping it and let you tell the audience how that comes about. <laughs> yes, you, you calm yourself down. Don't, don't remind yourself of that bullshit decision last week. You sit, sit on your tea and calm down. I would just like to though, state that that tag team battle never officially ended because neither team went over the top rope because the Dudley's got involved. So I'd like to say that tag team battle is still going on today. It's officially the longest match in wrestling history, and somehow all four members of the two teams that were in there, you know, Edge and Christian and the Hardys, they're all somehow still wrestling today. So fucking get them together. I don't care if you know two of them are in WWE, two of them are in AEW. Get them back together. Let's get this decided. Even though the Dudleys have retired, I don't care. We need to get this fucking decided. We can later. we can have a crossover where you get to have Matt and Christian of AEW. You get to have Jeff and Edge of WWE, and you can have Bubba Ray Dudley and Devon Dudley of Ring of Honor or some shit like that. And then have all all of them come in and finally get a decision. Although, to be fair, I think at this rate, the majority of them will be hobbling over the top rope as opposed to being thrown over. Um, I'm pretty sure, for instance, Matt is probably um, at least 12 inches lower than he used to be with the amount of damage his hips has taken over the last 30-odd years. Yeah, it would basically be Team Internet Darling versus Team Vince Want the ones Vince wanted to push. Basically, with Jeff and Edge teaming together against Matt and Christian. Uh, but, you, know, could, you could even bring in the Acolytes then and really get it interesting. You can have Bradshaw on the ones that want to be pushed, and Ron Simmons being the badass on the other side, just going, damn. <laughs> but I do agree. Like, the amount of tag teams in the WF at this time, fucking, we get two new ones formed this week alone. And. I think if he did end up doing that 12 first to come up, he would at least have helped cut down like, a couple of the mat- tag matches that happened at WrestleMania because nine matches happened this WrestleMania. One of them is a singles match. Each of them are some sort of triple threat, fatal four-way or fucking tag team match of some description. So yeah, I think we'd have been better off just like cutting down a couple of matches and giving half an hour to a fucking 12-man scramble. So there you go. And you know, you thought we were done with the 20-minute promos from Stephanie and Triple H. Oh, no. Because after getting recapped, everything that happened on Raw with one of my favourite things uh, from this era, which is basically punches get, getting given, like, explosion sound effects. And just, just Vince has punched Shane with a regular punch that probably didn't even connect that's been made in post. It's been, like, the most deadly thing. I was just... <laughs> <laughs> you got Triple H and Stephanie coming out while the fans in Milwaukee all chant flip at Stephanie McMahon. And I just put down my notes. Triple H tells us what we already know as he basically talks about the announcement of the of the Triple Threat on Raw and winning the Triple Threat on Raw and then the fact that Lynn McMahon came out to make the Fatal 4-Way for WrestleMania, including Mick Foley, 
which I said, I know, I just watched Raw, and I just watched the recap of Raw. So stop telling me what I already know and get on with the show, you big-nosed arsehole. <laughs> like you, Triple H, I really do. But at this period, you, you go on a bit. And then you ask, who the hell Linda McMahon thinks she is? And seemingly, they decided, okay, Vince gets to come out to No Chance in Hell. Stephanie, you come out to Triple H's music. Shane, you're going to come out to the Big Show's music. And Linda, because we don't want people to get confused, want people to actually get the action we want when they hear No Chance in Hell. Linda, you're going to come out to the old WrestleMania theme song, an instrumental version of that, even though it doesn't suit you at all, because it's upbeat and you aren't. And so Linda comes out to... And it's so ill thing that it sounds like it was dubbed in and post, that theme song for her. And she just comes out and goes, you want to know who I am, Triple H? <laughs> She's a lot more Southern than... I'm making her to be a lot more Southern than she actually is. Like, I'm Linda McMahon... And I was just as much stroke around here as anybody else. And she's like, Mick Foley's is back, but it's going to be for one night only at WrestleMania. So, either way, Mick Foley's going to realise his dream, he's going to win the title. And if he does, then the title will immediately be vacated and the tournament will be held over the next couple of weeks to determine a new WF champion and that will culminate at Backlash. Well... You, do, you really know how to excite the crowd, don't you, Linda? Even though I think the reason they're throwing this out there is the idea that they've got a plan so to help you maybe believe that Foley's going to win. I agree. I think, um, I, first of all, I love the fact that you somehow made Linda sound like Deborah McMichael, um, <laughs> which now makes me just think uh, the WrestleMania uh, 17 My Way uh, theme song should have had in the music video um, instead of like Deborah getting involved, it should have been Linda McMahon and have The Rock and Stone Cold fight over her. But that's a year ahead. Um, for the moment, I am going to say that watching Vince take out Shane and Triple H in that intro um, basically makes his right hand the real weapon of mass destruction at this time. Um, and it's probably up there with Mizawa's elbow. It was that. Uh, um, um, dangerous and painful. Um, the idea of having to give Linda her own theme song in order to make sure they get the right reaction and go for such a jaunty tone is very, is very much contrasting to the actual um, character she's portraying. It almost feels more appropriate that with the happy-go-lucky style he's currently exhibiting, Vince McMahon should be coming out to the old WrestleMania theme song, which would actually be very appropriate. And you can have Linda come out to No Chance in Hell, but just add in the line, uh, No Chance in Hell, you'll display an emotion. Um, so her coming out to add on top of an already lengthy segment where Triple H accomplishes two things he regurgitates how damn good he is because it's been a whole 10 minutes since we've heard how damn good he is and he's reminded us of everything we've just learned from the intro so basically he is the world's worst powerpoint presentation um on display at a university um the only positive from this segment literally i would say the only positive is Linda explaining what would happen if Mick Foley wins the title? Because by displaying that amount of thought put into the possibility, it takes it from being a emotionally stirring but unlikely idea to, wait, actually, 
something could happen here. It gives it a little bit more legitimacy. It helps build up the possibility of Mick Foley actually winning. Um, and I think considering Triple H's response on how much he puts over how badly he wants to hurt Mick Foley, not only are we seeing that Mick Foley coming back has added an ounce, uh, like an injection of energy and enthusiasm for the whole thing, but it's just, it's given new points of interest it's really shaking it everything up um and that is to me a really good positive if we could have just taken the first 15 minutes removed all of them and just had it you had mick foley come out instead and explain what would happen with the title i could live with that um I'm also disappointed because this is one of the few segments that Triple H has appeared in where he hasn't booked a match, which means that my gimmick is ruined and I hate it. So Linda at least announced a new match in the intro, but that's for WrestleMania. We've got nothing for this show. So, so far, I am very disappointed and I'm going to have to put my match counter away, which makes me sad. Yeah, I was definitely listening to everything you said, but also at the same time, I had... Uh... Um, version, a vision of Stone Cold saying, let's take Linda out of the equation. Bam, she's now factor. <laughs> for the My Way video package. Yeah, it's, it's rare to see that what ends up being the final match of the show was actually the final match of the show. And I know there's a promo thing that came after it, so it wasn't technically the main event, main event, but it does still seem weird when we get to it that this was the, still the planned uh, final match of the show when we see who's involved in it. But I do agree with like the forethought they put into it because and they know some people might already be sceptical of the idea like McFoley coming back for one night only, but they need to make it seem like they've got a plan in place. Like when this is similar to when they when they before the Rock got added to the match, they had they had the graphic of Triple H versus Big Show, so they actually make it seem like it's as legit as possible. And so obviously they know they got to make it seem like you know we're just going to bring Billy Foley back and then have him retire without a plan here, and then we reignite the whole thing of. Triple H's feud with Foley and like how much they hate each other and he talks about basically he's going to eliminate The Rock, he's going to eliminate Big Show, he's going to save Foley's last, he's going to make sure Foley doesn't, can't remember where he lives, he's going to beat Foley so bad he has to be wheeled around in a wheelchair and says it's going to be your fault Linda, you're the one who brought him back, you're going to want to take care of him and eventually when Foley realises whose fault it is, he's going to realise it's all because of you and he basically finished it off by calling her a, me- a manipulative meddling bitch. Or at least the, it gets edited out, but it's clear that he called her a bitch. And Linda raised her eyebrows slightly to show that she was shocked, otherwise we wouldn't have known. And it's the most emotion we've ever seen out of her. It must have hurt her face entirely to lift her eyebrows that way. And, you know, while, while the bits concerning Foley were good in this, it does make me feel like the one downside to bringing Foley back is that it feels like now that the story they're telling for the last couple of weeks is for for this weekend, the weekend to for the go home week, the the story that they're telling seems to be that Foley is the guy who needs to win. Whereas before this, it's all, all been about the Rock getting involved and the Rock wanting to go into WrestleMania to win the title because that feels like what should happen. But now it feels like the focus has shifted completely from the Rock being the underdog and like who's going to guy who's going to win the title to now it's all about Foley. I agree. Um, I feel it's definitely a case of where Mick Foley 
almost takes over the entire story. And I do get to some degrees the idea of it because they have to make it seem legitimate that he could actually possibly win. Um, I don't think it's too much of a detriment to The Rock because The Rock almost doesn't need that push in. He's already strong and popular enough and it's already looking likely that he will win, that they don't have to actually do anything about it. Um, If anyone, I would say the one who's most damaged by it is The Big Show because he was already weirdly shoehorned in. Um, Everyone was already looking past him. And now he's a distant fourth. Um, if you look, if you were watching this at the time, your thoughts were probably the amount of pushing that was going on. It the likelihood of winning was going to be the Rock, then a little bit below Mick Foley, then a little bit below um, Triple H, and then a hundred miles down the road inside a cavern underneath a tree inside a, a balcony of a forest of a mountain. <laughs> you've got Vince and Shane and then a little bit lower, you've got Big Show. That's how, that's how superfluous he's almost become, which is really unfortunate because if they had planned it right, the redemption story that could have been played from Survivor Series onwards would have been really fascinating. This idea of how Big Show tried doing it the right way. He got given an opportunity. He won the title. Um, He got screwed out of the title. He got screwed out of the Royal Rumble, which to some degrees is true. I mean, he was eventually proven right when the video showed that The Rock had actually touched the floor first. Um, and he could have legitima- legitimately had complaints that he got screwed out by Triple H. He's got screwed out by The Rock. And now he's had enough. He's going to do whatever it takes to win the title back that he never should have lost in the first place. And the storytelling that could have been done would have been absolutely fascinating. And it, ironically, it's the sort of thing you'd expect being done with when Edge was battling for the title this year about wanting this redemption of achieving back the title he shouldn't have lost or um and or ever had taken away from him and instead the big show is just a grumpy bastard now (laughs) shane is still fantastic at gaining the heat but that's because the big show is so cold in terms of actual reaction at the moment because he's secondary to Shane, he's secondary to Triple H as the major heel, he's second he's now secondary option to Mick Foley, The Rock. <sighs> at this rate, the only person who's gonna be less important in the match than Big Show is probably the referee, and that's only because they can freaking replace him. I <laughs> I feel I, the more I talk about it, the more I start to feel sorry for the big show because they could have really done something with him because Triple H has been the champion for several months. He doesn't need putting over. The Rock is the Rock. He doesn't need putting over. Mick Foley needs putting over as he's been brought back out of retirement and needs to suggest there's a possibility he could actually win it. And yet the most dead is actually the big show. Yeah. He does seem like the most replaceable out of all four of these guys because, like, you could easily have done it somehow, like, fully wins at the Hell in a Cell at No Way Out, but somehow they get Triple H back in the match, so it's Rock, Triple H, Foley. I think people would have been all right with that, but then you've got the idea of two faces 
who are over basically teaming up on a heel, which then makes you somehow you might make you somehow feel sorry for the heel, uh, or like potentially one Foley or Rock getting one cheered over the other, and having the fans turn on one of them. So I think the reason they added the big show is they had another heel in there. It's an even dynamic. The faces feel they have to team up. You know, Rock and Salt teaming up together against these two other heels in the main event, and then it's going to have to come down to those two. But I do agree with you how you replace Foley feels because you know, well, Triple H gets a segment. Foley gets a segment to uh, talk about the main event. Big Show does get a segment that gets no reaction. Rock's the only one who doesn't really acknowledge the foot of horror, but he does have a match on the show. But in that match, like you can still tell how over the Rock is. So basically, everybody is over in some way except the Big Show at this stage. And also, this whole Mike Man get involved, and we talked about last week how fitting it was that Triple H and Vince Cap picked up where they left off. Like nobody has even thought to mention the fact that Triple H, Vince McMahon basically handed Big Show the title by helping screw over uh, Triple H. I'm pretty sure Vince is the one who carried the three at Survivor Series when the Big Show won the title, and like, no one's even thought to mention that. If you wanted to make, bring Vince back as the heel, you could have had Vince team with the Big Show and tie it back to that, but nobody's even thinking about that. So, also they say at one point that. Steffi's got an announcement to make later on that will not just shake the, the WF Twitch Foundation, but knock it off its foundation. And I missed when Triple H said that, and just as well, I, I missed it because Michael Cole and Joe Oller remind me of it. Three or four times every fucking match or segment going forward. What do you think the announcement's going to be? I don't know. You know, don't forget King Stephanie McMahon's going to make an announcement later on that's going to shake the WF Twitch Foundation. How could I forget? You won't fucking shut up about it. I think they talk long enough that they shook the foundations because it was fucking repetitive. Um, it it would have been easier if they just put themselves on repeat, played it every 30 seconds. You can imagine that instead of the crowd having chanted at them $9.99 for pay-per-view, it can be freaking uh, Stephanie McMahon's announcement in the final segment. I have to say, for the amount of build-up they gave it, um, there was almost a passing interest in it. It's just unfortunate um, that the build-up is going to be very, um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? <sighs> very <sighs> wasted, I think, mm. is what I'm going to go with. I mean, we'll go into more details later on, but for the amount of attention given to it, um, my expectations was around about the middle, and I was still fucking disappointed. Mm-hmm. But we go into the next segment, which is thankfully a lot more entertaining, as Ivory is trying to give a crash all massage because he's tense about the hardcore title. But he keeps trying to get up because he's like he doesn't want to turn his back or anything because people are always coming after him. She tells him to lie back, lie on the table, and eventually he starts relaxing. And then you see from behind a weird sheet, out comes Teddy along the referee, and then Ivory smashes a glass jar on the back of Crash Ollie's head, rolls him over tries to pin him, but somehow Crash kicks out, and while holding the towel over himself, uh, and not wanting to show his little Elroy to anybody, he uh, he grabs the hardcore title and buggers off with the title still wrapped around him. Well, the only thing that would have added to it is if when t- uh, Teddy Long came out, he was uh, with one leg in the air going, holla, holla, um, player, <laughs> and that sort of thing. It would have been amazing. Um the idea of Ivory giving a massage to someone is very out of character for someone who's the word 
I want to use is not frigid, but she's a little bit cold. I don't know. When you think back to when we watched the Royal Rumble and how unimpressed she was with having to do anything sexualized, the idea of her giving a massage to someone does have elements of being out of character. So the reveal that actually she wants the hardcore championship um, is a really good twist on it, especially as it really adds that feeling of anything could happen with the 24-7 title. And um, it's surprisingly appropriate, actually, for it to be either considering that her and Tori in DX were featured in the first ever WWF hardcore match uh, over the Women's Championship, which still has um, a moment in it that has... that makes me uncomfortable uh where she basically used an iron on tori and burned her mm. and it's dark as hell and it, that's the sort of thing that ivory does she can she's nasty and ha- and willing to do whatever it takes so the idea of her wanting to go for the hardcore championship is surprisingly appropriate yeah i i remember that well i think we covered it on one of the early episodes of the series and it was it was hard to hard to watch, you know, the sound that it made. Uh, yeah, I do agree. It's kind of out of character for her. But I think when she considered the fact she was trying to, she was just using that to lure Crash into a false sense of security before smashing him over the head with a jar to win the title. Then you can you can see where it was, you can see where she was coming from, and why she did it. But obviously, Crash again escapes with the title. Kurt Angle comes out. Uh, the Eurocontinental champion is getting ready to take on Chris Benoit. But first, he's going to hear you talk about he's uh, they officially announced two-fall triple threat match for the for the European Intercontinental titles. You know, one fall is going to be for the Intercontinental title, one fall for the European title. And he talks about how it's conspiracy against him by having to defend both titles at WrestleMania because he's before this wanted to defend them like individually. Like, even the... Uh, Bread farmers here in Milwaukee can tell this is a conspiracy against your your Olympic hero. Uh, Benoit really tragic this because on on Raw he was getting a promo about Krangler. He calls up he carries around all that Olympic gold. But you're not an, you're an amateur wrestler anymore, Kurt. You're amongst the pros now, and it's it's, it's, it's a disgrace what he does to that WWF gold. And he has a match with Jericho who keeps joking that Chris Benoit as he keeps calling him, has no charisma and talks like a robot. And Angle was encountered during a match between Jericho and Benoit, but then Benoit accidentally got knocked to the outside and put his hand, there put his hand accidentally on the commentary table onto one of the belts, which annoyed Kurt Angle. So he hit Benoit with a title belt, found the rest back to help Jericho win. And so it was like, it was going into, they were called Jericho the number one contender. But then they said there was a challenge being with it for a triple threat, which looks like now it's been accepted. And now it's going to be officially the two false triple threat at WrestleMania. Jericho comes out to do a commentary during this match between Angle and Benoit. And it is interesting, I've noticed now with, with King, he does it on this episode, and he'll do it on the next episode that we'll talk about. But King basically tries to create a favor with anybody now. He's not just doing it with heels now, he's just doing it with everybody who joins him on commentary because. In the past, he'd slide off Jericho and, and singing Angle's praises. And now he tries to curry up to Chris Jericho when Jericho joins him on commentary and ask him all his questions about, oh, you know, uh, you know, what about, what about you? This is your first WrestleMania. So King just 
doing his usual, just switching sides and choosing who he wants to win matches, especially when they're when the person he's talking to is on commentary. He is definitely a bit of a. I think the word a word I'm going to go for is he's he's a bit of a stirrer. Mm-hmm. Um, you can do, he's a bit he's a bit of a troublemaker and that sort of thing. And it's not really a surprise to see him jumping from one to the other to the other, etc. Considering that he did something very similar in the Royal Rumble, where he kept on changing who he thought was going to win. Um, so it doesn't surprise me at all. And actually, now that you've mentioned it. Um, I do recall it, especially I think one of the best examples is actually going to be in the next episode um, with the Hardy Boys. But I think it's a lot more noticeable that whoever he sits next to, he tries carrying favor with them and mm, not necessarily lying, but bending the truth slightly to fit what he's trying to say. So he still has those heelish elements to him. So it's not too much of a difference, but it does feel like this is the beginning of them trying to soften him to becoming a baby face because he was already popular with crowds, not with us, um, but he was already popular with crowds. So they were obviously thinking that they wanted to go ahead with it. So it, it kind of makes sense. I'm not that surprised. It is a really good pick out. Um, I'm, I'm definitely noticing it in retrospect now that you've mentioned it. But yeah, I think you can see a same thing about Angle and Benoit's match that I, I saw from the Jericho Benoit match on Raw, and that it's a great match because now you've got three like, work rate guys. Uh, my dog disagrees with work rate, if you can hear him in the background. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, ooh, I want tables. <laughs> but, you know, it's three work rate guys. Uh, going after these kind of work route, which should be work rate titles, but they haven't decent enough matches to build a triple threat. But it's a case of, like, in hindsight, knowing that these guys will do basically better and have better matches. Uh, Angle does try again, resorting to using a title belt, tries to grab the IC title used against uh, Benoit, but Jericho then hits him with the European title uh, to help cut that, which leads to the DQ, and then just walks in the walls of Jericho post match. Bob Backlund doesn't get involved with as much as three, he's just showing. Backstage while Jericho was still on commentary, where Jericho yet again calls him how did do do. I love um, the fact that you've got three tremendous workers now being completely involved and really brings up the history of the Intercontinental Championship being considered the were uh, the workhorse title. Um, after a couple of years where it seemed to bounce between characters like the Godfather and Val Venus and Dino Brown, who are, who are solid, but they're not the ones you expect to have the best matches on the card. Um, and that sort of thing. Now you're giving it to three of the better workers in the ring who can improve the overall quality of the entire show and give that title a bit of its legitimacy back. And even... Even though Angle is still relatively early in his career, he has an impact. He is very, he's already learning very quickly. He's very good at what he does. Even the way that he uses the speech about his, this conspiracy against him allows him to very subtly drop in how the triple threat match is going to work. And he does it in a way that you almost don't notice at the time. But afterwards, you go, hang on, I know what's going to happen now 
because he's explained it in a way without making it obvious. So not only is he already at that stage where he can be trusted to go in the ring and have a solid performance um, and also be trusted on the mic to entertain the crowd, he can now be trusted to convey and sell the important information about a match, which shows the trust that is being displayed in Kurt Angle and is a really brilliant indictment, uh, not indictment, uh, indication of what tremendous work he's doing. And then putting him against Chris Jericho, who is one of the best on the microphone at this time and very underrated in the ring compared to how he's treated. And then you've got Chris Benoit, who at the time could have possibly been the best worker in the ring because of what he can do and his ability to elevate matches. You've got so much potential and it's a little, it's a little bit disappointing to some degrees to watch this match. And you do get a very quick indication of the sort of chemistry that might be able to occur between Angle and Benoit. They instantly seem to have that good chemistry that connects. And it's that sort of chemistry that in 2001 onwards would make their matches such an underrated highlight for everything you watch. Um, But the match itself was less about the in-wing quality and was still about the storylines. The fact that Jericho enters the match, uh, interrupts it, and basically gets his heat back on both of them. That's the thing. It's still we're still at that transitional stage where the matches on SmackDown are primarily for telling the stories that will come to prominence at the pay-per-views, not just for a good match. So this is basically a hint to not just what will happen at WrestleMania, but the possibilities we might see within the next couple of years. Yeah, I think especially with Ben War. You can tell he's starting to break out in his own now with having matches like this away from the Radicals because uh, on the following Raw, he's going to debut his own like theme song rather than coming out to the Radicals theme song. And it's a more like uh, more harder, a harder, more instrumental version of the theme song that we come to know of Benoit having, so it's not got like any lyrics on it. And so I think immediately we're starting to see people like Benoit break away. I think next week we see the seeds get planted for Eddie to start breaking out on his own. So again, WWE by this point they've taken a couple of months and decided what they can do with certain members of the Radicals and how little they're they're going to end up doing with uh, other members of that particular group. But with it, what you said about Angela is a really good thing. I kind of picked up on it and that you pointed out. It also is similar to something that Johnny Gargano did a couple of weeks ago when they were having that whole battle to lead to the Gauntland Eliminator to lead to who got a title shot against him at Stand and Deliver Night Two. And he had him basically being annoyed at William Miko for making a match. And he showed his annoyance by recapping the rules of it. It's like, so you're telling me there's going to be a 12-man battle royal? Yes. And the twelve, and the six survivors of that battle royal, we're going to a gauntlet eliminator on night one. Yeah. And, we're, and I have to defend my title against the winner of that gauntlet eliminator on night two. Yeah. This is outrageous. <laughs> like, it just, you get, there's nothing wrong with a, with, little bit of info dumping because you need to tell the crowd and the audience what's going on and make sure they know how to react and that sort of thing. But there is a right way of doing it and there's a wrong way of doing it. There's a wrong way where you open up the show and tell us for 15 (laughs) minutes things we already know. And there's a good way where you slightly drop it in or you use comedy to bounce off it to have it that the crowd can enjoy the moment 
and also learn something at the same time. Yeah, uh, like I say, yeah, Gargano clearly more influenced in this way by Kurt Angle than Triple H, but I know everybody <laughs> likes Triple H now because of NXT, but God, how bad, how long must his production meetings be? Now as the head of NXT, at least this is what he thinks a good, a decent length promo is. But we go backstage, okay, these two segments together, where we first have Vince backstage with Michael Cole, yeah, he's asked what he thinks this announcement's going to be from Stephanie. He goes, well, I think Stephanie is going to announce that she's pregnant. And in nine months, she's going to give birth to an eight-pound anteater. Uh, and it just to his nose, because, like, do you get, as I to say, do you get it? Triple H has a big nose. And he decides to announce that, given the actions of the Dudley boys on Raw, they're going to make, they're going to take the Dudley's tag team titles and hang them above the ring. And the Dudleys will compete in a triangle ladder match. This is my impression of Vince McMahon in 2000. Uh, and we all have a triangle ladder match against the Hardys and Agent Christian. And then he says to Michael, do you remember when the Dudley boys put the rock through a table a couple weeks ago? Michael says yes. He goes, yeah, I remember. The rock remembers. Pepperidge Farm remembers. He didn't say the last one. But he says that the rock is going to go one-on-one with Bubba Ray Dudley. The rock is going to be looking for some revenge on the Dudley boys. And then we get a thing from earlier today where Hedgies visit a farm because, according to Al Snow, we're Hedgies, we're in Milwaukee, see if you need to get in touch with your cheese roots. And so they start milking, you tell them to milk a cow. And then the cow squirts milk in Blackman's face. So while Al distracts the farmer, uh, you hear off camera Steve Blackman hitting a cow with nunchucks and then coming back and saying, the cow's sick. And then they both leave. How is how are these guys meant to be the good guys? Steve Blackman just beat up a beat up a cow. <laughs> I know I know I shouldn't laugh, but it there's there's no question that this would never fly nowadays. You never get away with the idea of Steve Blackman attacking a cow. But it's what what I love is that it's it's how serious Steve Blackman is doing it. He really you cannot get a more straight-laced individual or the straight man in a comedy duo than you do with him. He takes these insults so personally and the ridiculousness of him attacking a cow is the sort of thing you expect Al Snow to do. So seeing Steve Blackman do it so seriously is it actually shows how well they work together. And I'm not, I'm not going to lie, it was so ridiculous that I loved it. I absolutely loved it. It's just the way like he stands up and walks out and you think, oh, he's just gonna walk away. Instead he gets nunchucks and you're just like, Yeah, that's a that's a Steve Blackman thing to do. And now Snow's just like, uh, Kenneth, Kenneth, yeah, just tell me about like these things over here in the distance. Uh, your time flies when you're having tremendous fun. Uh, I think the milk is curdled now. We're gonna go. Uh <laughs> sort of thing i'm gonna lie that was stupid but it actually put a bit of a smile on my face um but then again i love head cheese they're probably my favorite tag team um and eventually you too will be a a head cheese lover Um, i won't i definitely won't you will you will you're gonna have it one day by the time I leave this show and you say, I've had enough of you, you're going away, you'll you're do it. it right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
I'll, I'll go out to a Steve Blackman theme song and then at the end of it, just be like, what does everybody want? Head cheese. Um, the, uh, going back to Vince, um, his quip about Stephanie's announcement, um, the fact that he said she'll give birth to an anteater, considering what happened with Mae Young, I did have a brief moment watching this where I thought, Oh, fucking nine months, she's going to give birth to an anteater. <laughs> I was like, we're going to get to Armageddon, and it's going to be the first sign of the apocalypse, an anteater being born from Stephanie McMahon. It's the sort of thing I would not have put past him. The only thing I could think of is that Stephanie went, no. Um, <laughs> moving on to the tag team titles, the, the idea of punishing the Dudley boys for ruining the number one contempt tennis match by putting them in a triangle land ladder match is definitely the sort of decisions I like to see where the heels try to escape from something can end up being punished for it. And it shows that how well Vince McMahon could actually work as a baby face um, in that he comes up with these great match ideas that are not only exciting for the crowd, but make sense. Which I like. And I, I was also quite impressed about the fact that he brought up the Dudley boys putting the rock through a table weeks ago and the rock wanting to get revenge. Um, the fact that this, this is something that I really thought was going to be forgotten about. Um, so the fact that he brings it up and plays on that history, I thought was a really good touch. And I liked it for that reason. I also liked it because it means that he announced a new match for the night. So my gimmick is back where we get to check to see what the real main event was going to be beforehand and that sort of thing, or how many matches get announced on the night. Um, the only thing that confuses me, I think, is that I'm pretty sure Bubba Ray Dudley was the one he did put through the table originally. It was Devon that he didn't put through the table. So I'm surprised that they decided um, that it would be Rock versus Bubba Ray Dudley. But to be fair, um, Bubba Ray Dudley is the more prominent member of the Dudley boys and the one that's more likely to uh, have, have to get punished. So this was actually a match that I was like, this could be quite interesting. And that's, I was quite in, uh, I was curious to see where it went. And yeah, I think the main reason it's against Bob is because I like, think the main reason that, uh, I think the only reason Rock went through a table in the first place is because like he put Bubba through a table, but Bubba then stuck around and still got involved in the match. They held Devon, put the Rock through a table. So if it had just been Rock v Devon, the Rock probably would have won. So Bubba getting involved, even though he got eliminated from the match, is why the Rock lost. So that's just me putting my own spin on it. It's probably probably for some reasons that you you put like that Bubba's the more prominent Dudley. Uh, do you know what? That's a very fair shout, and it actually helps. It makes sense. So. I like that one. Scott, you should write for WWF because you come up with with sensical decisions. I don't think they'd have a place for those kind of decisions. <laughs> but going to our next batch, as a member of Team Godfather here at Rugged Pines, I was very excited to get aboard the whole train as Godfather takes on a debuting on SmackDown, Bill Buchanan. Uh, his big debut on Raw, he showed up with the boss man as announced as being accompanied to the ring by Bill Buchanan, so Clearly, his first real appearance was on Sunday Night Heat. God, why is that still a thing? It's it's making things very confusing. And big Bill Buchanan, he is, quote, a friend of the boss man and has a, a storied past. They won't tell us what that past is. They just tell us that he's friends with the boss man. And so Godfather takes on Big Barry Buchanan. 
uh, no relation to Neil Buchanan off of Heart Attack, and said that uh, nobody's meant to interfere coming to ringside, except for the hose apparently they're exempt from that rule. But Big, big Bull shows us some athleticism that you're not used to seeing at this period from a big guy, where he leaps off the middle rope and then just dies with a back elbow. It's a scissors kick, but uh, Godfather still kicks out, skins the cat, and I mean the wrestling move, not, you do, not what you do when you're angry at Stacey Carter, where he throws himself back into the ring. I know I'm better than that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Godfather goes for the whole train, but avoids it, and Bossman ends up coming down, even though he said, oh, but no one's may get involved. Do you ever believe that ever works in wrestling? God, the only thing that confused me is Bossman and Boom can close through the don't interference rule the, uh, out the window, and Dilo Brown, the established tie team partner of the Godfather, nowhere to be seen. Yeah, I I was surprised um, because like so obviously I didn't watch Raw before this, so my first um, so they showed the clip obviously beforehand showing that Godfather was attacked by Bo Buchanan and Big Boss Man, um, and they decided to have a rematch here. And then they're building up to a tag team match at WrestleMania, which to me seems like they've almost gone backwards. It seems like rather than a rematch, surely it would have made more sense for D'Lo Brown to have been on this show, have him and the Godfather against Big Boss Man and Bo Buchanan, and build up to WrestleMania where Bo Buchanan could get a one-on-one match with the Godfather. Um, in order to, so you could actually put over this new debuting store uh, character. It just the the booking of this one seemed a little bit backwards in terms of where it was pla- where it started and where it was going to go. Um, I did think Buchanan looked relatively impressive in this match. His agility was um, was quite good, and will instantly stand him out to the crowd. Um, I was a little bit surprised that the Godfather got as much offense as he did in the second half because you had it that Bobby Cannon was relatively in control and this was a really good opportunity to put over this new character to make him look powerful and intimidating and give a reason for why the Godfather needs D'Lo Brown at his side. And instead, the Godfather almost, it's almost like he went, all right, enough of that, uh, and <laughs> took back over, uh, gets all this offense. And then you have a finish that just feels like it's needlessly prolonging the feud. Um, you could have easily had it that Bo Buchanan win through cheating. So, yeah, the big boss man is not supposed to be there. Have it that the referee doesn't see him and he knocks the godfather out. And Bo Buchanan actually gets a victory to help give him some actual momentum as this new wrestler. Instead of having it at the end, the boss man and Bo Buchanan are acting like they've just won when the only thing they've achieved is a couple of notches on their bloody baton. It's just, mm-hmm. or not nightsticks. Sorry, it's just um, it's it's a it's um it's not a great match. It's a bad finish. It's a bad decision. It's a bad bad storyline. Um, do you know what? It is a great indication for the rest of the evening. I have to say, um. <laughs> I feel like I've put more thought into the storyline of how the Godfather and Bobby Cannon end up facing one another at WrestleMania 2000 than the actual writers did into the match itself. I think you're the only person in the world who's ever campaigned this hard for Bill Cannon to have a WrestleMania singles match uh, in the history of Bill Cannon's career. Not that he's a bad wrestler, you know, but I don't think everybody was campaigned that hard for him. Like, 
And also, this is not even his first time in the WBF. He was a part of the Truth Commission in '97. He was called Recon, I think his name was, or whatever, which sounds like a low-level Decepticon from a Transformers cartoon. But so he was, he's been around. This is definitely an improvement. I think his previous event, but yeah, I think this is again. Like, these matches are all just been done to help set up the stories for us, man. Because like we always like we've got our main event sorted. Now the next couple of weeks of SmackDown are basically all sitting around. Let's build up that undercard for uh, for WrestleMania, and that's what we're we're doing here. And what we'll do at the end of the next match. Uh, but first, we have Hardcore with Crash backstage, and Crash is going on about how this twenty four seven thing is killing them. He can't sleep. He can't relax. Ivory was trying to smash him over the head with a giant. Like and Hardcore trying to show him like, "Come on, we'll go have our tag match. Don't worry, I made sure that no one is going to like try and take you out when we go." During this tag match, let's go out, we'll have our match. And it's, it's Hardcore Holly and Crash will take it on Hedges. Crash is constantly looking over his shoulder when he comes out to make sure nobody jumps him. Uh, the fans really enjoy Hedges, you know, Hedges chants, there's all sorts of signs. Al tries to put a big cheese hat on the cheese head, but he immediately throws it off. Uh, Crash gets caught in the tree of Romans to avoid a baseball slide drop kick from Al. Gets out of it, Hardcore comes in. He, the ref actually gets clotheslined. A new ref comes in, but turns out this is the ref for Hardcore to try and attack Crash and try and take the Hardcore tail. So Hardcore turns on his cousin while Al and Steve kind of stand there. Which has always amused me that the whole thing of like, if you interrupt somebody during a match who's a Hardcore champion, you say, oh, long as there's a licensed ref, but you have to have your own ref. Why can't you use the ref that's right there? But I know in this situation, the ref was knocked down, but. So it's been a question I've had. So Hardcore and Crash brawl through the the crowd. They go to the backstage area with this other ref following them. When the other when the established ref wakes up, he counts out the Holly cousins. So Hedges win by counting out Crash again and skates Hardcore with a title. But while they're celebrating, the team that just came together on Raw, T and A, Test and Albert attack Hedges uh, because reasons. Because uh, we need an extra match for Mania, uh, they beat up, they beat up Head Cheese. Trish is there and basically says like, "We see, we give you what you want." T and A, T for Test, A for Albert, and then they walk away. And you know this is very much very similar to what happened on Raw when it was Test v Val Venus of all people, and Trish drags the company into the ring. Uh, she kept distracting Val. Test got the one by reversing a roll through and holding the tight, and then Albert came down. They both beat up. They both beat up uh, Val Venus and Trish said, "Like we all know what people want. They want T and A. They want Test and Albert. So basically, it's the case of like T and A. We all know what that means Test and Albert. Boo! <laughs> like so they're explaining to you what the joke is. It's the most Vince Russo name for a wrestling team without Vince Russo even being there." He's been gone for months at this stage. You, you can almost feel like the uh, idea behind Test and Albert was basically um, someone's rifling through some old boxes of story ideas that Fed Russo left behind. And then it was just um, Test and Albert equals TNA, he, he. And they were like, do you know what? We've actually got uh, Fat May in now who would work perfectly for that. So let's put them together. It just it feels like a leftover from the 99 attitude era. Um, I, 
I remember quite distinctly TNA being a, a relatively big deal when I was watching at the time because I was watching during this period and Test and Albert were a re- were a relatively dominant, physically dominant team. Um, I, l- I enjoyed this match to some degrees in that it features three of my boys. You know, it's got little, <laughs> Air, got little Air Roy Jetson and it's got head cheese. Uh, it's got Steve Blackman getting the biggest cheers of the night so far and the chance of let's go head cheese, which means they're officially the most popular act to appeared on stage so far. I, I am claiming that and I am going with it. Um, hardcore turning on Crash, I felt was slightly daft because he does it when Crash is up and, ra- up and about, as opposed to almost letting Crash get beaten up and then taking advantage. So it really shows that neither of the Holly cousins are a are going to be challenging Mensa at any time. Because <laughs> first, first you had Crash coming up with the twenty four seven challenge never contemplating the fact that he might want to have sleep at some point and hardcore decides i could win the hardcore title i could also have it that i wait until he's actually unconscious nope i'm going to attack him now it's just the sort of stupidity that doesn't surprise me in this storyline and i would say the two biggest positives to come out of this are the head cheese one and TNA featured. And by that, I do not mean tested now, but <laughs> it's ironic like, in terms of the hardcore title, the four guys you've got here, cause you got Al Snow and hardcore, you know, two like multiple time hardcore champs. You guys, you all, they were one point out of feud over the title, crash the current champion and the black man who later this year will get a decent run with the hardcore title. And, I think with Tess and Albert, it's the best thing you could do with these two guys. I think is when Albert comes out on Raw, he's still wearing his Prince Albert attire. So it's still in that bit of a transition where he's finally learned to maybe cover up a bit. You're a bit too heavy for this crowd to take away those uh, shave your back chants. And like turning Tess heel, I think for a guy his size, is probably the best thing because you tried him as a face, you fucking drove him into the ground. Any credibility he had as a face after the whole Stephanie and Triple H fiasco. And so I think. It's best to just put the guys together. I know probably it was all about an excuse to get, you know, Trish on TV. Honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if, like, they did the same tie team but put Terry Reynolds with them. I think it's all about the Valley, not the actual team itself here with the TNA thing. But they wanted a way to debut uh, Trish Stratus. And I think TNA are a really underrated team of this era in an era that has so many good tie teams because... Yeah, these two guys would get put in a lot of tag teams. I mean, Albert, especially when he went to Japan, became a bit of a tag team specialist. You know, winning tag teams like the Tomko and Carl Anderson over in Japan. But it's ironic they didn't do much together uh, together as a team, which is strange. Also, I found this out because of another podcast uh, talking about it. Do you know, apparently, at one point, before suggesting her, her she be the manager of this team, an idea was floated around for to debut Trish Stratus as a porn star who's associated with Val Venus. It, I did not know it, but it does not shock me. And to be fair, she does get associated with Val Venus, thankfully not in that capacity later on in the year. But I'm glad that Trish like said no to that, because I know she like she, was de- she debuted as eye candy and then crowd up passes one of the greatest women's wrestlers of all time. But it would be hard. It was an even harder journey for her 
if she had a debut under that, you know, gimmick. And you can still tell the fact that, you know, the TNA thing, the, the, even the Titans names might be a joke about, about Trish and how she looks. So you can tell it's basically not the best idea they had TNA, but it's clearly a compromise when you consider the other idea that was pitched. Yeah, it definitely feels like a compromise. At least with TNA, it's not as transparent enough to be too obvious. They can sort. They it's a it's enough of a play on words that the that the kids are unlikely to get it um, mostly, but the adults will. So it has that really good blend. Whereas. If you just look at Val Venus himself, the fact that with that porn star gimmick, he never really ascended beyond the intercontinental title. Um, the I and that is as a as a male who would get got given a lot more opportunities. If Trisha debuted as a porn star, I think as a female during this period of time, she would have definitely had it almost impossible to move beyond it and you would always be tainted by it and there would be a lot of opportunities i don't think she could she would have been she would have been given because of it and i'm kind of glad that they instead of having trish change to suit foul venus it would eventually be that foul venus changes to suit trish stratus and that really puts over the importance of the character it's interesting that you say um, about Terry Runnels, because if you look at Terry Runnels' um, work with the Hardy Boys and Edge and Christian, she has consistently been the worst part. She <laughs> is not essential um, or even a positive to their characters. The Hardy Boys were better once they moved past her. And Edging Christian's worst storyline was featuring her. The only positive contribution she had to those four teams was being the motivation for the Terry Invitational Tournament, which led led to the ladder match. And even that was a horrendous Vince Russo play on words. Instead, Trish gets given the opportunity, and I feel that as a manager slash valet, she brings more personality and potential to it than Terry would. And Mm -hmm. I think that she's also much better at being a heel, especially over these next couple of months. I think she really shows how well she could have done it. And Terry, I don't think would have been able to do as well. So I'm really glad that they went with Trish Stratus instead. It was a really good opportunity for her to be brought in and presented in a way that she can learn on the job without being put in an uncomfortable position Test and Albert are both given a bit of a revitalization because Albert was basically um, the human personification of a Twitter meme. Um, And by having him actually cover his backup, he can actually be appreciated as a wrestler because he is very strong and very large and physical. And watching him and Test next week, especially when we go into the detail, they actually go together extremely well. And Considering the terrible work that was put into test that gradually deteriorated his career. I mean, just a couple, I think less than what, two, three weeks ago, we were talking about him versus Viscera and how underwhelming it was and how little that was being done with him. And this almost like gives his career a shot in the arm again and gives him something to work with and him alongside Albert. 
I would almost go so far might be one of his best times in the actual federation. So you're, you're basically seeing the development of Albert becoming relevant test being brought back into the folding and becoming relevant and the beginning of a career that will go on to sail past all expectations. Mm-hmm. I definitely agree with that. Uh, same man backstage with Mean Street Posse offering them all opportunities. Now he said, well, we'll put bygones with bygones. He said, how do you like to be able, he, he asked each other how they like to fall in the footsteps of like, or spend the day in the shoes of Triple H, Mick Foley and The Rock respectively. And all of how the varying degrees of things that these, each guy focuses on, like when, so he asked when, when he asked Pete Gass, how he like to be like Triple H, like, would be great, I'd be the WF champion. When he asked Joey Abs about being Mick Foley, he goes, you know, it'd be great, I get to be a, have a best-selling book. And then it comes to Rodney about The Rock, the best thing he'd go with is, oh, that'd be great, I'd get to host Saturday Night Live. Yeah, I think The Rock was all Saturday Night Live around this time. Was uh, he? I did not notice that because they only mentioned it five or six times as opposed to the usual 17 or 20 when it comes to Stephanie's big announcement. Ironically, they talk about China being on Third Rock for the sun whenever she appears more, I think, than they talk about The Rock being on Saturday Night Live. But then so he gives them all, they all walk off, you don't know where that's going to go. But then we get The Rock versus Bubba Ray and the Rock actually comes out only for this week uh, to a WWF Aggression theme sung by uh, Method Man. Because so, they're really pushing WWF Aggression because they even show a bit of the music video for uh, Rum DMC song for DX. Yeah, have you, are you aware of WWF Aggression? Have you listened to some of the songs on WWF Aggression? I had heard of it, but I think... I don't remember listening to it, but I actually feel like I might have when I was younger and just wasn't having it. Um, the mi- the minute-long clips they show from the music videos felt as long as a normal Triple H segment. Um, and I thought Method Man's rendition of The Rock's theme song was awful. I actually thought it was awful. And, and it's not just because I... I it's not because I dislike Bedford Man. I haven't listened to him enough to actually have an opinion. The reason why I dislike it is it because it doesn't have that oomph. It doesn't have the shot of energy that his normal theme does. You know, you start off with "If you smell," and you it's all it's sudden. It's out of nowhere. It's loud. It's in your face. It gets you g'd up. Gets a reaction. Whereas this one is like, "Do you smell what the rock is cooking?" Dun dun dun. And it's so passive to some degrees in comparison that it doesn't actually suit the... I don't think it suits the rock as he is now. It's a aloof heel of when he was in the corporate style um, as opposed to this electrifying superstar. So the overall theme song, I thought, was a really bad rendition. It did not suit the rock. Um... But I will say it was probably one of the few negatives in this segment. Honestly, having listened to a little bit of WF Aggression, Rock, by, Rock Song by Miss Man is one of the better songs on the actual album itself, I think, because it's one of the only times where it feels like you're actually the song actually fits the wrestler, not in terms of like an entrance scene, but like what the guy's actually talking about is 
suits the rock. I get you. I mean, it made more sense if we came out as a heel. Like we had that very long, like Hollywood rock entrance, which is mm. a short, long shot to the skyline. And just the it's good. That is and, one of my favourites. So I have to admit, I love that theme song. I am going to be closing out the next couple of episodes with uh, so one of the some of the better songs from uh, David Progression because, like, it probably makes sense for the for DX, like mainly Road Dog and Road Dog Tory and Xbox to come out to the Run DMC one and even implement part of the music video into the entrance because similar to the old DX entrance where they show part of the Titantron as part of the entrance and the logo would come up across it. It doesn't really make a lot of sense though, giving us a rap song to keep singing the King of Rock who, the King of Rock what. And also they immediately aged the song by saying, even you and R. Kelly believe I can fly. And it was one of the first lines you hear of the song. God, not, it's not often you turn around and say a sentence about R. Kelly ages it. Um, the amount of context to that from the present day is worrying to some degrees. It ages the it ages the song instantly, and then it gives it an awful connotation of R. Kelly being involved at any degree, which makes it uncomfortable. It's just it, the rapping sounds like it's bad. Um, it just, <laughs> yeah, basically, I almost prefer the DX theme song when I didn't know what they were what they were actually saying. Also, he ru- Kelly ruined Space Jam for me. So I saw Space Jam was on Netflix, and one of the first things you hear when young Michael John's playing basketball is as R. Kelly's rendition of "I Can Believe I Can Fly," and it just made like, oh no. <sighs> It means that if I ever want to watch Space Jam, I'm going to have to cut five minutes into the movie, and that's going to send my autism flying all over the place and make me emotional. And I, I, I saw Space Jam in cinema. I loved it. It was. Oh, you've you've depressed me now. You've ruined this show for me. Thanks a lot. Also, Ice T's on the album. He sings the Godfather song titled "Pimpin' Ain't Easy," which she'll perform at WrestleMania. Which features like such as pimping ain't easy, pimping ain't pimping ain't easy, man, and then basically just that a thousand more times. Uh, also, you know, Big Show has a song in this which they try to have make him have as his entrance theme starting next week and doesn't fucking work at all. But you know who does have the best? If I would encourage you after this Sam, to go out and check this out, uh, type in WF Aggression, and when you find the song titled Big Red Machine which is Kane's song, give that a listen, because by far, I don't, I'm not saying this just because Kane's my favourite wrestler, but literally, hear the song, it's the best song on that album, and I don't know why Kane didn't have it, at least for one week as his entrance theme. To, to be fair, Kane only seems to appear to beat up DX, so it probably wasn't worth the um, payments they would have to make in order to use it. But, I'm not surprised that his might be the best one, and now I'm actually curious. I'm even bringing it up on my phone so that I can highlight it and listen to it afterwards. But to be to be fair, even if they had played the song for him, it would never be as good as um, Five Finger Machine, I think it was, um, where in 2003, because that was the best Kane song ever. Are you talking about Finger 11? That one as well. <laughs> I think you're mixing up Five Finger Death Punch. I think it was an, I've never listened to him and Finger Eleven. You just merged them together in some sort of weird hybrid. But also, by the way, uh, the East Side is I sound so white, uh, which is a Z on the end. 
uh, are credited with singing the uh, the song for Kane, and it's a trio that includes Snoop Dogg. So there you go, Snoop Dogg sings about Kane. I mean, what more could I want in life? What more could you want in life? I've forgotten where we were. Matt didn't. Oh yeah, the Rock's having a match. Yeah. <laughs> This is literally just for his theme song. We put this amount of talk into it. All right, WF Aggression, it seems to be a thing they're pushing, so I wanted to talk about it. I, I'm the one who gets concerned about the length of these podcasts sometimes. I'm the one who's derailed this this week, but the Rock fights probably deadly. We're talking longer than the match goes. <laughs> uh, this is where I'm glad that all I have to do is walk, is come along and talk, and then after it's like, wait, I'm going to have to start editing, and it'd be like, cool, see you in three days' time. And you're like, it's not that far off. That's probably right. I mean, I love it. I think we're about 90 minutes into this. We're actually officially longer than the show itself. And I'm pretty sure we haven't even gotten halfway through. <laughs> I think we're in the halfway point. We've got quite a bit to cover, I think. But Rock fights Bobby Dudley. Yeah, there's a spot around the NC where Rock puts on a headset, I think, at one point. He uses the ring bell on both Dudleys. The referee doesn't even think about calling for the bell because the Rock would probably smack him. Uh, there's a clothesline spot where Bubba Kane gets awkwardly positioned around the table where he, did, he gets stuck almost at one point. Diva does try to make a distraction uh, because allowing, D- allowing Bubba Kane to hit a clothesline. Uh, I'm getting my mind mixed up. Bubba does get some offense in getting a clothesline, but clearly the rock recovers it's a DDT, but B1 distracts the ref. They set up a table on the outside, uh, but then Diva ends up going through it because he said, oh, those are the rules of wrestling. Where Devon then gets up on the apron, probably gets Irish up into him, and Devon realizes he might not be close enough to it, so he basically has to take a bit of a leap off of the apron through the table, and even then, just for about the top part of his body, some of it goes through the table, mostly his head, through the table. Rock hits a rock bomb for the win on Bubbery Dudley. I am shocked to some degrees. Because watching this match, I suddenly thought to myself, who would have thought that 21 years later, Bubba Ray Dudley would be a multiple world champion and The Rock would be a Hollywood action star? Um, I mean, but Bubba tries doing his own impression of The Rock, which just ended up with both Dudley boys getting wiped out with, the, with some bell shots, um, which they sounded so loud that I legitimately cringed when I heard them. Um, it was just absolute, absolutely rang their bells. Yes, pun always intended. Um, but afterwards, Bubba Ray Dudley just looks like he's gotten concussion number one, which is pretty much most of his matches in the year 2000, I feel, is just a, um, waiting to see how quickly he gets a concussion. Now, I will say that this match was very fast-paced. It was very hectic. The Rock does pretty much destroy Bubba Ray Dudley. Um, Devon going through the table was a pretty good um, moment as well. And you can feel the electricity of the crowd when The Rock is actually going for the people's elbow. And it's amazing how much is actually fitted within this five and a half minute period. It's actually it's the longest match on the show. And it's a great example of how easily The Rock can excite the audience, how much connection he has to them. Because he has been featured for less than 10 minutes, and he is undoubtedly the highlight of the entire show. Well, one of, uh, well, one of, 
the two biggest highlights I will say actually thinking about it but it's the fact he gets this tremendous revenge against the Dudley boys it's a very much a feel-good segment uh, the Dudley boys, I feel, do quite well with their jobs of getting involved and putting the rock over and selling quite well. Um, and when the rock is leaving, it is the only statement he needs to make on WrestleMania, which is basically, it doesn't matter who you put in front of me, I am going to kick their ass. Mm-hmm. And the crowd are one million percent behind him. And he has all of the momentum in the world. And if you look at the contrast in just a few weeks from where he wasn't going to WrestleMania at all, and he had the entire world against him, to now, he is the favorite going in with the crowd hugely behind him and tremendous possibilities. I really enjoyed this match. I cannot believe how much I enjoyed this match. It was fun. It was hectic, as I said. There was no low low spots. It wasn't boring at any point. The Rock was great fun. By the way, Dudley provided a bit of um, character when he tries to do an impression. Devon with a tremendous spot going through the table. I I have no complaints. I have no complaints apart from Method Man's rendition of Rock's theme song. But I have no complaints about the match itself. It's what I'm saying. I have no complaints about the match itself. Yeah, I... It was weird because well, you're talking about uh, even though the Dudley's won uh, a couple weeks ago, Rockstar was very dominant in that match before, and then the Rock got revenge. Now Devon got to go through a table, and like you said, the Rock said everything he needed to do on Raw. You know, like he said, I've been ready since last year when I lost when I lost the WWF title. So the Rock doesn't care. He says like he wants to go through wherever he needs to in order to get to WrestleMania. Like the Rock has basically, but it's like he's created this character of. Like, uh, he's a good guy, but he doesn't really care about anyone or anything. He just cares about what The Rock wants and the Rock, what The Rock's just wanted in the last couple of months is to go to WrestleMania, and now he's going to Mania. Uh, we get a recap of uh, Mick Foley returning on Raw before JR is in the ring with us, and he brings out Mick for an in-ring interview. And Mick Foley does address though, him coming back, saying, you know, I, did, I stuck to my word. I said I didn't want one of these guys who said he's going to retire only to return. Six weeks later, and I didn't. Mick Foley returned in just four, and he talked about Linda McMahon calling him up. He said like he thought he was just going to be a part of like Mania Access, do some things, and he said he was happy with that. She says, "I need. How do you feel about being in a main event of WrestleMania?" And she says, and he said something that we referenced earlier on. They said that I try to give her all the reasons why I shouldn't come back, why I shouldn't back out of my retirement, why I shouldn't come back even if just for one night. And then I realized. Am I talking myself out of the am I talking myself out of the WrestleMania main event? The one thing I've always uh, dreamed of. He says I have respect for The Rock. He's the best damn partner I've ever had. I respect the Big Show. He had the match of his life on Raw. That pushing it, it was an okay match, but that's the best match of Big Show's life so far. I mean, he's. Uh, but then he talked about Triple H and the things that he said earlier on to Linda McMahon. Says, what you said to Linda, you better be damn sure. I'm going to save you for a last Triple H. So they're trying to make it seem like it's going to come down to Triple H versus Mick Foley, which is why I was saying earlier, but The Rock maybe being a bit overshadowed. And so he doesn't need to use any barbed wire implements or anything like that. He's going to take the one thing Triple H holds dear, the title. And because it's just for one night only and the belt will immediately vacated, when I take your title, when I take your title, 
there's not a damn thing you can do about it because I'll be retired and you will be the ex WWF champion. Hell of a promo by Mick Foley, I thought. Fucking loved it. Absolutely mm. loved it. I think it. you already feel how different and special this is going to be by the fact that Jim Ross appears. Like, he rarely appeared on SmackDown at this time. I think in all the uh, shows that we've watched, the only time he appeared was when he was on the phone for a brief couple of uh, seconds telling the police he's not going to talk to him about Austin. Apart from that, he I can't remember him appearing on SmackDown before this. So the fact he appeared instantly was suggesting that this was a big, big fucking deal. And then Mick Foley comes out, he instantly, um, uh, he instantly reacts to the elephant in the room about him coming back. He lampshades it, admits that he came back uh, um, early. He admits about his nervousness about coming back and that he couldn't turn down WrestleMania, which I think was a moment that was quite... um, quite, The crowd was very receptive to, because they could understand that. He was honest and was opening up about it. It's especially fascinating when you compare the contrast in speeches between himself and Triple H. And the reason for this is that you notice that when Hunter was doing his speech, he was putting down his opponents and talking about how good he is. And what Mick was doing was that he was building up all of his opponents and then saying he will beat them. And it's the old classic thing about if you beat an, if, if you call someone a nobody and you beat them, then you haven't achieved anything. If you say that they're a big deal and then you beat them, then you are a big deal. And that's the difference. When Hunter's having it early on, he's talking about how he's the best in the business, he's going to beat the rest of them, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. He talks down his opponents and it ends up mattering less. But Mick, as an old-fashioned promo artist, and this is why he was one of the best at them, was that he built up his opponents and then made you believe he could possibly win. And then this means that regardless of whether he stays or not after WrestleMania, he hasn't damaged his opponents. He's left them still looking strong. He's saying like the Big Show's just had his best match ever. Complete and utter lie, but he can get <laughs> away with it because it's Mick Foley. Um, so when... So if Big Show doesn't win, then he's still getting better because of the performance he's putting in. He says about how good The Rock is, but he's going to beat him. So therefore, The Rock is not damaged. And then he puts over the Triple H as the champion and then says, I am going to beat you. And the last act I do is going to be kicking your ass and taking the championship away from you. And this is a damn good speech that helps legitimize mixed title shot legitimizes his um return legitimizes his opponents and makes the audience want to watch the match if you Mm. if you ever want to learn at how to make your victory matter you watch these promos from Mick Foley. You do not watch Triple H's promos, you watch this promo. This, I would say, was the best thing of the entire night because of how, and it's going to seem like like a bit of a cliche or a um, pun, how raw it is in terms of the 
honesty it brings to it and the passion. And Mick Foley in one speech put over the WrestleMania main, main event, I think, better than the previous three weeks we've done because it was getting repetitive, it was getting lethargic, it was getting the same old, same old. And that shot of energy I mentioned that he brought into it is epitomized completely in this speech. Mm-hmm. It's shocking how little Bixler gets talked about amongst when talking about some of the greatest promos of all time. Because, like, across, like, some people will talk about his, like, ECW promos when he was on this whole anti-hardcore thing on his last run there before he went to the WF, and Mick does go in quite a bit of depth about his process of doing those promos in his first book. But, like, across the series, they have promos, especially in his feuds with, with Triple H, but then before that, the time where he thought the Rock had thrown his book away, and he just, after weeks of kind of being, like, the punching bag, but also smiling because he wants to be friends with Rock, just laying into the Rock like nobody had up until that point. Uh, just how much intensity and emotion Mick can bring to these promos. And the thing with JR, I agree, it makes a big deal because in the past, JR has really appeared only in pre-tapes, like when he was showing an interview in Austin after his next surgery or when he interviewed Mick Foley after Mick initially got fired at the start of his feud with Triple H before he came back for the Rumble match. So like he's only been done in pre-tapes, but the fact that JR is there to do the promo, and it makes sense, given like he's also been a kind of a which is a friend of Fully and also some of the best promos in his early WQ that Mick gave was as mankind in those pre-tates with JR. So mm-hmm. it makes sense that he's the one there giving the interview. And also, it makes sense what he said about him going out on top as champion and nothing Triple H can do about it. Because, like, he, say he wins the title, retires, and he, next night on Raw, the title's vacant. Even if Triple H wins the title at, uh, at the backlash in this tournament, he still won't be able to get revenge on Mick because Mick will be gone, Mick will be retired. And like, even though probably likes to brag and he will do about putting Mick out of the WF, beat him at Royal and we'll beat him at, at No Way Out at WrestleMania, the biggest show of the year, Mick beat him for the title and now Mick's gone and there's no way Triple H can get his revenge now on Mick Foley himself. So Mick will have the last laugh. And it does like, open all these possibilities that there weren't there before because before it seemed like well, Rock has to win clearly, but now he's thinking, oh, but now Mick's here. And it makes sense that he respects The Rock because they are tag team partners. Big Show, you know, he's kind of faced off against Big Show before, so fair enough to Big Show. I think Big Show's also fairly new, and he thought Big Show needs something because he's clearly not as over as everybody else. But it also shows how little respect he has for Triple H, how hated Triple H is as a character, and how fully still remembers all the things he's been through for Triple H, including getting fired twice because of Triple H and again it made me think part of me also wonders wonder why what would have happened if they ended the fleet of war elimination with Rock and Mick because I've well wondered where the crowd would have shown their loyalties in that situation but I think it's clear why that doesn't happen but it always like I said it's always good to go in there with possibilities because we mentioned the triple threat this year at Wrestlemania I mean Carl's Mania Night 2 of you should be out now by the time you listen to this but the best thing about that triple threat, especially after that SmackDown before it, where all three of them got to cut promos, is that that triple threat was one of those matches where you didn't know who was going to win because of the possibilities that could come out of it. And that's what what a main event of WrestleMania should have going for it. Absolutely. I think similar, not just at WrestleMania, but I, I always think the Royal Rumble especially is one of those where the more people you have that could possibly win 
with believable reasons to win, the better it is. Because otherwise, you're just watching the inevitable occur. If you can have it that you walk in and you go, I believe that person can win, that person can win, and that person can win, then your match is already more fascinating and interesting than a match where it's going to be one person to win and you know it. There's a, there's a major difference. And I think this is why it's been very messy in terms of writing and booking and planning in the lead-up. This is actually a case where it's, I can't believe what I said, it's good writing. It's, mm-hmm. it's good booking and it's impressive planning. I, I have to give credit to WWF. In this moment, they were making it possible that at least two, if not three, of the four members could possibly win and win in a way that you couldn't argue with. You know, you got Triple H, who's supposed to be the best, and he can cement it by beating the three men he's been battling over the last couple of months. You've got it, The Rock, the biggest star could possibly win because it seems prime for him to do so. And you can have it. Mick Foley could win because the possibilities are there and the aftermath could be the most fascinating thing yet. And I love that. Um, Full credit to Mick here. He took what could, he could, he took what could have been a very difficult situation and he sold it better than anyone could have expected. Yeah, it was a real boost, I think, was given to not only this feud, but also to this, like, to the feud, but to this episode of SmackDown as well. But then, unfortunately, we had to bring it down a little bit because we got GTV, which is somehow still a thing, even mm-hmm. though I think rumor was it was supposed to be Goldust behind it, although Dustin Rollins has been in WCW for a few months now. So why are we still going with this? But there was a GTV on Raw where it showed Terry and the cat you know, talking backstage and you know, Kat was trying to be concerned about what happened with Terry getting speared by Edge and I said, oh, she's like, that must have hurt. She went, and then Terry, like an absolute bitch, just went, yeah, it did hurt, but probably not as much as not being on TV and in response to the idea that Kat's not really on TV since she lost the women's title. And then she just fucked off. And which is kind of rude. So then on this GTV, now GTV I think it's just going to be used as a storyline device for this feed with Kat and Terry, uh, where GTV shows that Kat is in the rock room with Terry, and Kat gives her back a skirt that she was meant to, to she had borrowed, and basically is showing like, no, she could, you clearly need it more than me, because all that TV time you've got and all, and she gives her it, and the top is clearly been spoiled by something, like we don't know what's on it, because it's in black and white, so you can't clearly see, it's just all black marks. And Terry is annoyed, and I'm wondering, why is this a thing? <sighs> the, it's amazing that GTV can show us so much and yet they can't display a reason for us to give a shit. This segment got one line in my notes, which was the cat and Terry Reynolds in a segment that continues building up their quotation mark feud. And that was it. Um, <laughs> And that's all you have to say about it. This is a point. Uh, this is a segment that will build up a storyline, but quite frankly, at the moment, 
is not important, does not matter, and I have no interest in. Um, so, not just a throwing there, Sam. Not just a match. But match at WrestleMania. Not just a match at WrestleMania. A cat fight. Not just a cat fight. The only singles match of WrestleMania 2000. Why does God hate us? What? Why has IT forsaken us? I thought Vince what? was going to man here and make everything right. This isn't right. Do you know, I'm going to tell you something even more depressing, right? I remember being at my aunt's and uncle's and it was on a Sunday and I specifically took the time to go upstairs to watch on TV the Sunday night heat episode where the cat actually challenges Terry Reynolds to the cat fight. I went above and beyond to see the segment where the cat challenges Terry Reynolds. Now, I don't know whether that says I was a massive fan or I was a massive fool. I'm pretty sure I can guess which one you're going to say. But that's how involved I was. I went out of my way to see this feud get given airtime on a Sunday. On a fucking Sunday. <laughs> on the Lord's Day of all days. Uh, on the Lord's Day. On the Lord's Day. And the only holy part of that segment was the hole in the cat's shirt after Terry had ripped it open. <laughs> but, you know, speaking of uh, you know, poorly booked women, we have a women's title match coming up next with Jacqueline versus Leah, who, who both come out to a shockingly lack of we commit to a shocking lack of reaction. Uh, Lita is the heel, which looks odd here because I don't think she has the confidence yet in front of this audience. She tries to show a bit a little bit after not really doing much. Immediately gets uh, hip tossed by Jacqueline. Jacqueline is pretty dominant for most of this match. They do the whole like rolling spot where they roll a bit with the referee, and then Jacqueline gets out of it. So, but Leah keeps rolling around with the referee, Chad Batten. And are we supposed to believe that? Uh, Leah couldn't tell the difference between Chad Patton, you know, what, 5'11", white, pale white man with a striped shirt, and Jacqueline, five foot nothing, muscular black woman. Like, Leah couldn't tell the difference between the two people just by feel alone. She had to roll about a few more times before she knew the difference. Maybe she's, um, the only thing I can think of is that she's colour and touch blind. Because. Um, that is pretty damn terrible. It, it, it was disappointing in that the match began with Lita and Jackie actually wrestling, wrestling in a women's match. Um, and then it deteriorates to this usual rolling bollocks. Um, like it's the referee caught underneath, which was painful enough to see during the like, Late later 2000 and 2001 between divas it's even more appalling to see it between two women in an official women's championship match and this is this is the most this is probably going to be the most depressing part considering that we've watched both episodes my the first notes i put was Whereas the last few weeks brought the light heavyweight championship to prominence this week attempts the same thing with the women's championship Oh, how wrong I fucking was. How wrong I was. But, at least we got a moonsault. I have nothing to add to this. It's an awful match. 
it's disappointing and I feel sorry for both women. So I had a point to interject there, but I forgot I'd muted my microphone when you said <laughs> it. So, uh, and it's a, you know what? a huge fuck up on my part. I'm going to leave me admitting it in. But yeah, you say we got all oh, we just got to see a minstrel. Yeah, post match. Uh, I was like, when I was making my point, for a minute, I was like, God, Sam's being a bit rude and interrupted me. I realized, like, you can't fucking hear you, numb nuts. You've not <laughs> muted your microphone. But yeah, like, Leah, I would have thought got would have got a reaction. She seemed to be over with SD Rios not doing the high flying moves when he came out for his matches. But you know, there's very little reaction. Jazz is Jackie's doing her best. We thought this would have been a better than it actually was, but maybe if they did this a year or so later they we'd get more reaction. Uh, but uh, Jackie does get the win with a she goes, she goes for a sunset flip, Leah goes to sit down on it, but then Jackie manages to flip her back over and get the pin. And Leah acts like the sore loser, does an awkward kick to get her down, and then does the, the minsault. And it is very similar issue to the light heavyweight title in that it's got talented people involved in it. But the matches are just randomly announced with nothing really to them. That's They're trying their best to maybe get people behind the invest in these championships, but nobody's, nobody's buying it. Yeah, it's... Um... It's a case of like throw a match together with two women that could actually put on a relatively good match. I know you mentioned that Lita didn't seem that confident when she first came out. I think that she has, even if she, even if she wasn't a fantastic wrestler at the time, she had an interesting look and a distinctive style, which could have been really interesting. You could have had, um, Lita using her agility and high flying against Jackie with her strength and you could have come up with something fascinating to watch and at least put a bit of um, effort into the women's division I mean we really should have taken the, co- taken the context of the fact that the commentators focus on the Wrestlemania main event at the very beginning instead of the match itself that should have been our indication of what was going to happen um, but the fact that the biggest moment was the Moonso afterwards tells you how little interest there were actually was in it. Um, and I will say, I'm glad you're going to leave in your spot where you happen to be on mute because the whole time, the reason why I was talking was because I was thinking to myself, Scott's not saying anything. I'm going <laughs> to have to cover the silence. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot. I forgot. I was on I legit thought I'd pressed. Uh, I'd pressed unmute, but. Uh, we get into this next segment where Sam and comes out with the Mean Street Posse, dressed as The Rock, Mick Foley, and Triple H, respectively. Pete Gass has got an almost like fairy tale witch style fake nose on to be Triple H with a really crappy toy replica belt he must have bought from a pound shop. You got, you know, Pete Gass, sorry, not Pete Gass, uh, Joey Az with the long hair and the Mick Foley shirt with the book. And then you got uh, Rodney with the drawn on eyebrow. To look like the rock. And then Shane Man fills some time and says, We need the fourth participant in the Fatal Four Way out here. He brings it to the big show. And he says, Maybe we should have a preview of that match tonight. The referee calls, rings the bell, and then Big Show just destroys the I mean street boss who dressed as his WrestleMania opponents. You know, uh, and then Shane refers to the, them as Rock, Mankind, Triple H. He doesn't refer to them as the I Mean Street Posse. Like, but Shane, like, those oh, guys are your friends, you know, like, that's not my friends, that's The Rock and Triple H in there. And uh, Shane loudly yells on commentary while Big Show just destroys the Mean Street Posse. Uh, I'm pretty sure the uh, 
the wigs that one of the two of them were come off at one point, which got Jay Lawyer go, hey, I'm so hard, his hair came off. And then he basically stacks them all up and pins them all at once. And to show this is how dominant the Big Show can be. Big Show is pissed off now. It doesn't matter how many people are in the match. He's going to destroy them all. But like, well, as Big O'Go points out, I mean, this is the Mean Street Posse. The Mean Street Posse aren't exactly the Rock Mankind or Triple H in any way in terms of ability. And also, it's very sure the Big Show's dominance rather than having a wind up. Oh, look, this is what we're do what we should be doing, have them destroy people. But guess what? To listen closely, no one cares. Because nobody fought for you destroying these guys. This is basically one of the first ever indications of the WWF doing good cosplay. Um, Pete, Gra- Pete Gas isn't great as Triple H because he does basically look like a witch from Enchanted or something like that. It's pretty damn awful. However, I will say Rodney as The Rock is amazing. And I love Joey Abs as Mick Foley, even though <laughs> he basically has Mick Foley supposedly with less than one tooth. Um, <laughs> I thought Shane throwing the Mean Street Posse under the bus for a practice match is such a dick move. <laughs> it is like it is quintessential Shane McMahon when he's a heel. He's just such a dick. Uh, he's like, they're not my friends. They're they're the opponents. And he just throws them underneath. Um, I do like when Big Show lays down. He's almost motioning for Rodney to go for the for the Rodney's elbow. And Rodney, Rodney's like, I'm going for it. And he, he starts running back and forth. And then he just gets destroyed. Um, it is very overall a mere angle. It's a couple of minutes dedicated to the Big Show looking impressive by beating up three jobbers. I think it would have been more impressive if he'd beaten up Kai and Ty and the Brooklyn Brawler because they actually win matches. Uh, <laughs> whereas the the only thing Mean Street Posse have won, um, I'm pretty sure, are card games with the APA. Um, it's just... I mean, Pete Gass won the hardcore title for all 10 seconds a week ago. So did the Godfather's hoe. Oh, <laughs> I'm not accepting that. That does not work. Um, it's it, it's a segment that works in the Triple H has obviously had his boastful uh, promo. Mick Foley has shown his passion and why he want, why he's come back. The Rock has shown that he has the confidence and the ability and the support of the crowd. And then the big show comes out and it's basically like, I'm not, I'm not going to tell you anything. I'm not going to, uh, I don't give a damn about the crowd. I'm a seven foot two, 500 pound monster. And I'm going to destroy the shit out of these people. And it is a gentle reminder of what the big show can actually do. It's just that it's not that impressive against three people from Greenwich, all right? It's really not going to do anything. It achieved its purpose, but it's still not that impressive, really. So uh, it was a mere segment, but it was. Um, I'm still going to say I enjoyed it more than the minute dedicated to the DMX music video. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty mere. I mean, I think it's a bit late, as I said before, to have Big Show as this like, monster destroying everybody after weeks and earlier earlier on of him just whining like a bitch 
about why he should be in the main, main event. And honestly, like as much as I enjoyed the like Ronnie trying to go for the people's elbow, and he did look the best out of all three of them. This was almost comparative to like that weird trope they used to have in wrestling of insulting your opponent by bringing out a midget version of them, or sorry, the dwarf version of them. Like this is almost almost comparable to the Twin Towers coming out a couple the other week on Raw. I mean. Like, actually, actually, you're probably right. It is comparable to midgets because, um, compared to the Big Show, they are all midgets. So mm-hmm. it's just it's just Big Show version of midgets. So <laughs> it is basically it's the Triple Towers. That's what it is. <laughs> but then we go into what weirdly, for once, is the actual advertised well, not advertised, but actual scheduled last match of SmackDown. And what a weird choice it is. It's Tukul and Rikishi against the Radicals, represented by Dean Malenko, Peristan, and Eddie Guerrero. And this has basically been down set up the fact that it's going to be Tukul and China taking on these three at WrestleMania. But Rikishi has recently been announced on, on Raw randomly by JR that he's going to team with Kane against the Road Dog and Xbox. And... Kane like, got involved in uh, Xbox and Road Dogg's match against the Hardys where like, he chased Tori and Xbox away, leaving Road Dogg basically to fight the Hardys two-on-one, which is why they lost. And somehow Triple H made it better by putting it against Rikishi. And then during the entrances for their match, he said, that, oh yeah, Rikishi and Kane are going to team up against DX at WrestleMania. And then they had a, a mini-match before DX came out and tried to beat up Kane, but then Rikishi helped fend them off. Which actually they got again at arse backwards. It should have been Kane getting put against Rikishi because they're both big lads who DX fans. Then DX attack Kane, but Rikishi says, "I'm a big face. I don't like you guys. I'm going to help Kane." And then they announce after it, "Okay, you know what, Kane? I'll help you at WrestleMania. Like, finally, get your hands on these guys." And that's how you set up the tag team match for WrestleMania. I feel like you could literally take what you've just said and put it over 90% of the matches being booked for WrestleMania because they keep on telling us that these matches have been booked and then they actually show the reasons to build up to why those matches would actually work. They, they, it feels like someone basically took the recording from the second episode and accidentally played it over the first episode. You know, it just, it's absolutely daft. And I think even the choice of this match itself not just as a main event, because unfortunately the only one that's anywhere close to the main event is Rikishi, and even then that's pushing it slightly. Um, it's just the match itself, I feel, is very daft. You've got it that Rikishi's going to team up with Kane, and two core are teaming up with China against the Radicals. So as a preview for the six-man tag team match, they're going to have a six-man tag team match where the only person that's different is Rikishi instead of China. Mm-hmm. So you end up with two actual teams to preview two matches that feature non-teams teaming up together for the first time. It's just... I, <laughs> the, the brainwave matter, I feel, had to be put in to create such an idea is almost... So ass backwards, it would almost make Rikishi look thin. It's fucking ridiculous. I just, I'm not understanding the cons, the conceptual decisions made in this. And 
that is before we even go into the match itself, which I'm sure will surprise you to hear I have issues with. I'm sure you do, but we have it starts off two goals taking two on one to Dean Malenko. Eddie gets in that's a very, some rare like physical offense from Eddie Guerrero because he's mostly been on the outside since his injury, but manages to get in, gets a heel kick on at one point. Scotty gets to do the warm, and the, I put this in because there's a spot where Eddie Guerrero is in the corner, and before Rikiji gets his tink face, uh, he Irish whips each member of two fuel into him and they hit him basically arse first so I just put in my notes everybody uses their ass on Eddie Guerrero uh, the stink face and like I put in all these notes a lot of it is very one say in favour of two cool here and like Terry Stan gets easily put away with the Rikishi driver for the win no DQ no Ben Wall getting involved no skirmish like to cause the match to get thrown out or anything like that no it's a case of a ah oh, well they beat him with easily with Rikishi as a partner wonder how easily it would be for them beating him at Wrestlemania when China is there as their partner, and DX come out, I uh, mean Road Dog and Xbox 5 on 3, so Kane comes out to make the save, then Kane gets a low blow and hit with a steel chair so Kane gets laid out by uh, Xbox and Road Dog which again, if the if the tag match had just been announced after the thing on Raw, it would still been a bit better, but yeah, so th- this was basically used to not help the Radicals in any way before their tag match at WrestleMania but it was done more so for a post-match which would make X-Pac and Road Dog look even more despicable going into their tag team match against Kane and Rikishi. <laughs> I'm just like, where the fuck do you start with this one? I mean, so, like, you have Rikishi and Tukul win in such a convincing manner that it makes the WrestleMania match with China tag team and with Tukul almost seem superfluous and completely inconsequential but then having road dog x-pack and kane get involved after so therefore road dog and x-pack look strong but the radicals have just been jobbed out and then you have it that china doesn't even get involved to help her her future partners which makes her look like a bit of a dick i just i just feel this is the when you watch some of the good stuff that has been put on display, when you watch how the main event has been sold in terms of like the rock big show, Mick Foley, triple H, where they all have their moments, etc., and the good work that's put into it. Then you have a match like this, where you legitimately feel that every decision they made, they picked the wrong one on purpose. It just like, I felt the match was badly planned in terms of, deciding to have it because you're almost shooting early on your WrestleMania match with better options. I feel it was badly booked in that the radicals should have looked a lot stronger, but instead pretty much got treated like the mean street posse, um, which was embarrassing. It was rushed through. I'm pretty sure it's taken me longer to fry an egg. Um, It was, (laughs) Not really the sort of match you would say is a main event. I'd be disappointed if it was an opening match of the night. Um, I just, I don't, I don't know what seems stupider: the fact that you're going to have two matches at WrestleMania involving mismatched teams, as opposed to actual teams that are together. And even China and Kane together would almost make more sense because they've actually worked together before for 
the corporation. That makes more sense than Kane and Rikishi or China and Too Cool. I'm not sure whether I was saying to myself, saying to myself at the end, I think I'd have just preferred a five-on-five match with all ten competitors in, instead, and make that. It, originally, I was thinking this could be your main event for this show, so that both matches get a bit of interest. But in actual fact, the more I think about it, I feel like the only way this would work as a main event for tonight is if it was building up to, instead of two matches at WrestleMania, a 10-person, five-on-five match. Because then you've got it that the D- DX and the Radicals have been working together, attacking people, and this builds up to the repercussions, where you have two cool, China, Rikishi, and Kane all coming together to battle these villains. And then you can... You, instead of having to waste time on multiple matches that aren't going to matter. I mean, I I get the feeling it's going to turn out that when we watch WrestleMania, probably in total, both matches were maybe like 10 minutes or 15 minutes at a stretch or something like that. Instead of wasting that time, you could have put a big match together for 15 minutes and make it feel worthwhile. Yeah. I think the only reason that Rikishi is not in the, the match with Tuko against the Radicals is basically it would be basically a repeat of their match from No Way Out, except with Eddie Guerrero subbed in for Chris Benoit, uh, as it was at No Way Out. So maybe they wanted to change it up a wee bit. But also, I think they're starting next week, they're going to tease some stuff with Eddie and China. But I like maybe to tease some stuff with Eddie and China before that to make give China more of a reason because it was a match between Jericho and Benoit with Eddie and Eddie when Eddie got involved with China. Which somehow seems enough of a reason for China to hate Eddie and the Radicals, even though she's not had that much interaction with them. I almost like now you point out China and Kane. Why don't you just have it Tory and X Pac against China and Kane rather than involving the Road Dog in it? Because I'm not that bothered if Road Dog gets a WrestleMania match or not. Fucking chuck him in with a hardcore title or whatever you want to do with that. But yeah, because Tory and X Pac are the main people that Kane hates. Kane doesn't. We have an issue with, with Road Dog unless he gets in the way of when he's trying to get X Pop, in which case he's going to get a choke slam. But, you know, Kane and China versus Tori and X Pop, I think, would be a much better match because now Tori can get up, be up by. They don't have to have Kane, Tombstone, and Tori again because they've already owned their load on that one. They can have China beat up Tori and then Kane can Tombstone X Pop. But, and it is quite frustrating, and we've talked about it repeatedly, like, other than these two segments, like on SmackDown and on Raw, and the whole thing with the thing with the truck last week, the actual interaction between Xbox and Kane and led up to WrestleMania has been actually not as much interaction. It's been very fleeting the amount of interaction they've had together when they're building up to WrestleMania, which is meant to be the actual blow off to this feud compared to the amount of interaction they had with each other on a weekly basis, leading into Armageddon or No Way Out, you know, where they should have probably done the blow off. Whereas here, it looks like. Kane just made it look even more like an idiot going into it because x beat him at uh, No Way Out and Kane's still coming after him. So let's Kane look, look even more petty because he's still coming after the guy who's always girlfriend even though the guy who's always girlfriend beat him in a match on pay-per-view already. And I just don't know what the hell... I think it's matches like this, the six-man are reasons why people don't really remember the Radicals outside of their debut and that 10-man tag they had when Kane made his return. Other than that, it's just how Benoit and Eddie Guerrero got into the WF before they went on to have their own story careers. 
because mm. nobody really remembers the Radicals. And I wondered why nobody remembered the Radicals when they first debuted. And now I've got my answer. Yeah, you've got it in one, mate. <laughs> also, apparently, there was a rumours that WWE wanted to have some sort of Inferno or Exploding Ring kind of match for Kane v Xbox as they're both in a singles match, which I imagine if it was a modern day, they'd do it as like a cinematic match because that seems to be all the rage over the last year. Although I wonder who they get to do it because knowing this feud it would end up as big an explosion as the end of fucking AEW Revolution. But, you know, now we have the true main event. We have we have Stephanie McMahon coming out with her big announcement. But first, wait, wait, Scott, before you start, one second. <laughs> Continue. <laughs> it makes the pain go away. But Stephanie comes out, but first she wants Linda to come to the ring before she makes her announcement. Linda comes out, and basically her whole announcement that will shock the very foundation of the WF is that Linda is a ho- was a horrible mother. That's basically it. Because then she goes on this diatribe of how she makes herself be like a spoiled brat, saying that you know Linda only made her Linda made her make her own bed as a child. Linda only gave her an allowance of a hundred dollars a week, and when she was sixteen, she wouldn't buy her the turbo model of the sports car she wanted. She had to buy her the regular. And when she moved out and had to get her own place before she went to college, she only gave her enough money for a one-bedroom apartment. The bitch. And she said so. Basically, she said she went to the their CFO and basically, basically, she shagged the guy to get some extra money because she spoiled. And talks about how she used her assets even back then when she was nineteen, and then says that clearly her mother has been threatened by her because what little affection Vince had for her went to Stephanie as soon as she was born. Because there's only room for one dominant female in the McMahon's. Linda just stands there and takes it, other than saying it was for your own good or just nodding along whenever Stephanie brings up examples of her horrible ability as a mother, and then says like Triple H was right, you are a meddling bitch, and then slaps her. And Linda takes one of the most dramatic falls ever when she sells the slapstick. She sells the slap better than she sold the sunner that one time. And then Stephanie smiles. Linda cries. The show ends. And I wonder why I even bother. This might possibly be the most underwhelming main event segment possible. It was boring. It was badly acted. It could have been skipped completely. With literally just the slap from Stephanie to Linda, and it probably would have been better. This is probably the one of the moments where afterwards I was thinking to myself, I wish Scott hadn't invited me onto this podcast. It was shite. <laughs> it was utter shite. I I definitely believe that you could have easily have done this in a case of Mick Foley opens the show, cuts his promo. Then Triple H comes out and says what he said about Mick Foley and Linda and Mick Foley goes, don't you dare say anything about Linda. And then Stephanie, they have up. Stephanie wants to confront her mother, Linda, and then she comes out and does this. Because you don't have need to have Linda and Stephanie and the opening segment together and then the closing segment. Because you know the only reason they want them here is for the slap. So they can add the slap to the WrestleMania opening video package. You know, they pop the McMahon in every corner, which Linda... You know, managed to get in there 
very subtly in her opening promo. So, uh, so there, there's your big tagline for the, the Fatal 4. We know about who's going to walk out as champion, but the tagline is all about there's a McMahon in every corner and how will that impact the match. Yep. I... This this would be an awful segment if it opened the show or was in the middle of a show. The fact that it was the main event segment would be bad enough. The build-up to this may be the biggest anti-climax I have seen in years. I was so underwhelmed... I'm pretty sure I was in that cavern underneath the mountain with the big show. It was <laughs> appalling. I, <laughs> I, I, I don't think I have a single positive about this segment. It was built up more than it should have been. It accomplished nothing to justify the build-up. It was badly done. And the worst thing of all, I did not care. Yep, I didn't care either. It's funny I mentioned that AEW Revolution like fireworks watch because that this is the AEW Revolution 2021 like fireworks spot in terms of angles and terms of segments. That's how underwhelming it was. And I think purely on the strength of uh, like uh, some decent wrestling and some of the other matches, even though they didn't go that long, and Mick Foley segment. This is another thumbs in the middle for me, because you know all any other positives are really weighed down by this whole thing with Stephanie and the insistence on having her all over the show, and basically justifying the slut chance here because they did nothing to make Stephanie seem like any anything but a slut in this whole promo segment. I say thumbs in the middle. Watch the next Foley stuff out of everything else. It, maybe if you're into ridiculous stuff or you're not that care, you don't care that much about animals. Maybe watch Steve Blackman hit a, a cow with a nunchuck because that feels so long ago since we talked about that. But did you well. just recommend Steve Blackman as a positive? As a second option after the Mick Foley stuff, I went so before the Rock. Time. You recommend it before the Rock. It was a glorified squash against Bob Ray Dudley. I'm not that into I'm not. I don't use the vision in it. I am going to dine out on that moment for the rest of the evening. I'm just going to be like, man, this is good. But this is no Steve Blackman curdling the milk inside a cow by whipping it with nunchucks. What would you reading? What would you recommend on this show? Please look at Steve Blackman. I I would probably say I'm the same as you. The beginning is boring. The ending is boring. But the middle segment is relatively fun and strong. I think the pacing is still relatively quick. It there's no there's no real boring moments after the beginning. It's it's pretty like the middle segment is pre- is pretty consistent in going through and you and you it flies by very quickly and the card for wrestlemania is shaping up relatively well 
mostly because you're being told that matches have been booked, but not actually shown the reason why they're being booked. But the card for WrestleMania is shaping up relatively well. Um, the the overall aim of the show is pretty obvious. It's the fact that now the Fatal 4-Way match has been announced. They want to legitimize all four challengers. They gave, they had each one differently for for them, depending on who they were as a character. I would say, weirdly, Triple H's segment was the poorest, while the other three were much more enjoyable. I'd say even Big Show beating up Jobbers was more entertaining because it made sense. Um, Foley and The Rock both elevated this episode. I think if they... If you hadn't had Mick Foley and The Rock, this would probably have been a major thumbs down because they... Even though The Rock does a glorified squash of Bubba Ray Dudley, the the electricity and the excitement and the passion that gets generated by it is fun to the point that I don't mind watching it. Um, but the rest of the show is a bit meh. Um, it's not it's not necessarily bad. It's just that there's nothing really great in the ring to make you want to watch it, and there's very little to recommend just like you i would definitely say watch mick foley's speech and that is going to be the highlight of the entire show that is the main thing that matters because not only are you seeing a tremendous promo artist sell an event a match a character a legitimacy a title every all of these different things not only is he selling all of that in one, but it is, it's the sort of promo you can watch and learn from. The only positive in the show that I could recommend is that you can learn more from Mick Foley's speech than watching 90 minutes of this SmackDown episode. Yep, that's pretty much it, man. And, you know, I kind of feel like I, I would have liked you back on next week for the go home episode of SmackDown, but I'm sure after how you felt about you know those segments, especially the closing segment, I'm I'm partly worried. It's not about me wanting you to come back. I'm worried that you might not want to come back next week. Uh, I feel like it's the completest in me that is like I need to come back. I want to continue. In when I had a I had a challenge to myself of where I wanted to at least get to. And unfortunately, the stubbornness within me says that I need to come back. And I'm just going to set it to myself as I have to go through the bad and the terrible to appreciate the good. And to be fair, we both know that there is good that is coming. There is, yeah. you just got to get through a lot of McMahon bollocks. Uh, I don't mean the grapefruit that Vince likes to talk about all the time. I mean metaphorical bollocks that gets portrayed on TV. Before we get there, and before we get to to WrestleMania, and we we've gotten through this episode of SmackDown. Hopefully, the going this will be much better than this. I've I've given too many thumbs down or middlings to towards down or towards up. I want a full thumbs up or thumbs down next week. Hopefully, for either uh, for next week's episode, because I'm sick of being in the middle. I need to get off the fence eventually. But before we get there, uh, Sam. If somebody's randomly showed me this episode is their first episode of Rogue Rich Smackdown series to listen to, tell them about yourself and where they can find you and what your plugs are. 
I am a bit of a media whore in that I will appear on most things. Um, you can predominantly find me usually writing on cultured vultures. Um, I have taken a bit of a sabbatical from it, um, waiting for a bit of passion on a subject that I want to write about, but I'm looking to hopefully come back soon. You could also see me on WrestleJoy, where I'm currently recounting through CM Punk's classic 434-day title reign. The latest post was released on WrestleJoy, focusing on his feud with Chris Jericho around about WrestleMania. And in a moment, I'm very proud of Chris Jericho retweeted it, which was fucking awesome. I'm not going to lie. Um, there was also Women Love Wrestling, uh, the originally known as a um, the book, which was um, raising money for charities dedicated to women's aid, that is now tr- transitioned into being a actual website where they're fo- uh, focusing on women in wrestling. I am having articles predominantly focusing on intergender wrestlers, uh, profiles of them, which are currently being raised. They're hopefully going to be more in the next couple of weeks coming out. And apart from that, you can pretty much see me uh, trying to find reasons to come back every week to sit through another episode of McMahon Homesley bullshit. <laughs> oh, I think we didn't rant so much about things we didn't like, especially the McMahon stuff. And if I didn't, if I wasn't so focused on uh, WF aggression, this, ep- this podcast could have been at least 20 minutes shorter. And you can find me at on Twitter at Scott McLean 1996. You can find the podcast at Rogue underscore opinions. Check back to the archives of past episodes of Rogue Retro Smackdown. Check out the recent fantasy booking uh, pod we did with me, Carl, and uh, Nathan, all booking our own versions of WrestleMania 37. Me and Carl's uh, separate one-night reviews of night one and night two of WrestleMania, as well as our Take or Stand and Deliver reviews are out. And also, we've got also, you can find me on uh, at Paul's Round Podcast at SB Rambling. Uh, we've got an Impact Pod coming. Uh, it's been recorded this weekend. So it should be out maybe by the time this is up. Eat Sleep Suplex, which I do a lot of stuff for them. I recently did a feature show with them talking about the television series Dark Side of the Ring, which will be coming out this coming Tuesday. We've already got a show about China. Out that was on as well. We'll be talking about it in this episode. And also, I do a show with them called East, East Meets West. Which is all, it's a monthly show where we recap everything going on in New Japan Pro Wrestling. And we've got an episode that's going to be recorded next week where we talk about the New Japan Cup USA so far. We talk about Will Osprey winning the IWGP World Heavyweight title. And we're going to talk about the shitload of matches that have been announced over the next month or so and the shows leading up to that Wrestle Grand Slam show and the Tokyo Dome. So we've got a lot to cover there. You can find me on all those places. You can find me here on Rogue Finds, the Mandalorian podcast. Probably recorded a uh, review of episode six of season one, The Prisoner. Uh, first appearance of Bill Burr's character Mayfield in that episode, and him who famously didn't like uh, Star Wars. And I, I don't want to diminish Sam, you know, being retweeted by uh, Jericho. It's always nice when somebody like like that uh, follow, retweets or likes something that you've posted. But you know, I think people who are long-time listeners of Rogaine know how most of us feel about Chris Jericho, uh, Canada's favorite Trump supporter. But congratulations anyway, and I was originally going to play Run DMC's uh, version of the DX song, but the fact that I mentioned R. Kelly's reference in it, and that made us a bit sad. 
kind of makes me not want to do that. So I'm still going to play the Space Jam theme song instead in honour of that great film and make sure that Arkell doesn't ruin that for us either because, you know, we should still be able to come on and slam and welcome, be welcome to the jam and watch Bugs Bunny play basketball with Michael Jordan and not feel weird about it. <laughs> uh, well, now that you've uh, trumped my excitement, thank you very much. Um, <laughs> I'm going to look forward to a little bit of... Um, uh, bunnies in the background dancing and not necessarily <laughs> wrestling. Uh, let's have a little bit of Space Jam uh, and en- enjoy ourselves. Go for it, because we're going to have Space Jam 2 coming out, and I'm totally going to watch it. So, uh, but until then, goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. Everybody get up, it's time to slam now We got the real jam going down Welcome to the Space Jam Here's your chance, do your dance at the Space Jam Alright